it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Oh, 
see. We got some. We got a few uh, intellectual, academic topics I want to touch on. Let's see how it goes. Let's see, full screen. How y'all doing today? How y'all doing today? All the peeps. We got a full house over here on TGIF. Full house. We've got Bob Saget. We got Dave Coulette. We got the two little monkey baby twins of the Olsons. We got uh, Stephen Urkel. We got who else is part of TGIF over here on Full House? If you would hit like and share at the library. We got a bunch of people over here on the tweet, on the tweet deck. We got a bunch of haters. We got a bunch of lovers. We got a bunch of fake and gray people. We got a bunch of real people. I feel like I'm doing uh, auctioneering. Uh, we got a bunch of five. We got a bunch of fake and gay people. We got a bunch of fake and gay people. We got a bunch. We got wait, five. We got we got a we got a real person over here. We got a real person over here. Bono Costuros is a real person. We got a fake and gay person over here. We got a fake and gay. We got a fake and gay. I got I got twenty five fake and gays. Give me give me thirty. Can I get thirty fake and gays? I got thirty thirty fake and gay. Going once, going twice. Oh, everybody fake and gay. You're all fake and gay. When I was when they played the Funko Pop song on Infowars, he said, "Make sure and tell the audience that you're not saying." F-U-C-K pop. I was like, do people really think that's what the song is? <laughs> people don't know what a Funko Pop is. Which is good. Because that means there's still hope for civilization. As many people as don't know, as there are that don't know what a Funko Pop is, is the accumulated points that, that's the accumulated hit points the civilization has to survive against the final b boss of Funko Pop. But as many Funko Pops as there are is the amount of uh, damage that you take when the Funko Pop attacks. And anybody who's played a role-playing game knows what the I'm talking about. <laughs> right? Your antics. Your antics online. Your antics online give you a bad name and, and take away from your credibility. Really? Is that why we just filmed a special for uh, one of the top programs on the television? On the television screen? Is that why we just did an entire broadcast to millions of people multiple times last week? Your antics, your antics, sir, are offensive to me. Well, if you didn't notice uh, this week, we had a couple interesting, uh, two or three interesting meltdowns. I'm not even going to go into the various meltdowns themselves because I just want to kind of mention the fact that, you know, so many people think that the public engagements that I have or the public engagements or debates or discussions that I have are just kind of like me. They, they come into the middle of the conversation and they think, oh, it's just me kind of like, randomly getting mad at people and just randomly starting fights with people. And in almost every case, 
Not not in every case, because I can, you know, I can respond with a little bit of sass. I got a little sassy backpack that I wear and pull out a little bit of sassy Limbus bread every now and then like Frodo. I got a little sass on my tank. Some ladies have junk in their trunk. I got a little sass on my tank. I'm, not, I'm okay with that. But in a lot of these cases, it's uh, people who are nasty, vicious people in the background in reality. And they put on this really pious front. And then people see me engage these people and reply to these people in a very matter of fact, direct way. And they think that I'm just being this random mean person. And that's the, you know, unfortunate situation of the internet. Cause a lot of times people just don't know what all these other people are doing in the background. Now, most of my time is spent doing books. I don't have time to engage in a lot of underhanded activities, uh, in internet drama. Somebody said the other day, you involve yourself in all kinds of internet dramas. Not really. It's just that if you talk about controversial topics, you're going to get a lot of haters. And that just comes with the territory. I can accept that. Uh, we've dealt with these creeps and weirdos and strange, bizarre people. And, you know, people who are your friends and they're your, you know, they're, they're mods for a long time. And then they suddenly flip out uh, and go and try to destroy everything. Because they're just petty little whiny bitches. And then they get obsessions over you and this kind of stuff. And they want to just constantly undermine what you do. Uh, and these are just really just, you know, passive aggressive soy males. And, you know, from my vantage point, I would just rather not surround myself with these kinds of people. And so I constantly try to cut myself off of these kinds of people. Because you find over time that these are just not they're they're people who are not loyal they'll sell you out in a second for any little inkling that they think that they can gain with some other live streamer or whatever so it's just better to not even interact with a lot of these people but sometimes you're forced to interact and forced to respond to people and so the characterization that you started all these fights is not actually accurate at all and with, for example, Michael Lofton, it should be evident, hopefully, to people who, you know, have for so long, for the last five years, accused me of being the chief instigator and persecutor of poor Michael, who is just the most charitable person on the internet. And then now everyone can see that his own BFF, he has thrown under the bus because Michael wedded himself to Francis in actually the correct way. Theologically, Lofton is accurate when it comes to Vatican I. And so he's sticking with Francis and the impossibility of Francis's apostasy at the giant uh, Islamic faith center, Jewish faith center, Roman Catholic natural theology faith center that Francis has blessed the Abu Dhabi Abrahamic faith center. And I will give uh, uh, Ibarra at least a little bit of credit for admitting that that's apostasy or he seems to, he says he is uh, very troubled by it. Yeah. Because it's obviously a surrender of the idea of the Trinitarian faith and the deed of Christ being necessary to worship God. You can't worship God as a generic monad 
as if all the, quote, monotheistic religions share the same God when they don't. It's very easy to demonstrate that, too. But as we've shown in the Trent debate, you know, a significant portion of natural theology's presuppositions and their bait of switch are built on the idea that monotheism all equals the same God because it's just one God. Even though that one God could be conceivably anything, which automatically demonstrates that it's a fallacy and it doesn't work. What if my one God is Satan? I'm a monotheist. I just think that the one God is Satan. Do I still participate in the Abrahamic natural theology tradition? Well, no, because it's not Abrahamic. Okay, but there's no such thing as a Abrahamic tradition that encapsulates anti-Trinitarians, Muslims, heterodox, sectarians of all, right? So, I mean, Jehovah's Witnesses are part of the Abrahamic tradition. This is ridiculous. Does St. Basil consider Eunomius part of his Abrahamic tradition? No, he calls them a blasphemous, demonized hater of God. They still call upon the one God. It doesn't matter because calling upon the one God is the calling upon the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have that, then you don't have, in the, the entirety of the Christian tradition, you don't have the Abrahamic faith. So both Lofton and Ibarra are correct. It's just that they exemplify everything that we've been saying for so many years. But you'll notice that the deflection in the last five or six years on the part of Lofton was all about how he's persecuted. Everybody's mean to him. He's super pious, super charitable, calling on everybody to apologize publicly, <laughs> repent publicly for laughing about him, laughing about his antics. And it's patently obvious now, even to his closest confidants, that the problem, the issue is actually with him, with his fragile ego, fragile psyche. He can't take any bit of criticism and he just spirals out of control at any point. And now he's dumped all the people that were helpful to him to begin to create his platform. And now he thinks he can, what, uh, dispense with all these people because I guess he has Matt Fratt or whoever, right? And, uh, you know, that, that was obvious to me. It was predictable that he was going to do that. And he will just continue to, you know, ruin uh, relationships and spiral out of control. Notice that was the thing he said about all of us, right? That we were all just so mean ruining people's lives, claim that people death threatened him. It was all fake. It was all bullshit. So we're dealing with people who just constantly make up lies. Right? And other people had their own meltdowns this past week or two. And what does that demonstrate? It demonstrates that the assessment that we gave over here was accurate, was correct. We weren't intentionally trying to persecute people, be mean to them. This whole debacle with uh, Lofton dumping Ibarra really just vindicates everything that I argued in the debate with Ibarra. Does it not? Of course. Because it was obvious a long time ago. And all they've done is keep the debate at the most low level, the most low tier, never getting into the real issues, steering everyone away from the issues and into personal drama, And there you go. So, no, it wasn't me being mean. <laughs> once again, once again, we're vindicated, right? The, these are 
nasty, malicious people who put on a front of being pious. And I can't believe the lack of discernment in so many of you guys out there. And I'm not talking about my audience. I'm talking about the people that bought into this dumb uh, drama as if we caused all this and started all or whatever, all this nonsense. Like, do you not have any discernment in these people? I mean, why are we constantly right in the analysis that we have of people over here? But you're mean. Now, I'm not mean. I just tell you straight up. I've always just been a straight up kind of person. That's it. So, because I don't pretend and kowtow and, you know, go along with whatever's supposed to. I mean, none of this has anything to do with niceness. That's the thing, right? It's just whether we're seeking and saying what's true and we're committed to what's true or we're playing games and trying to get clicks and build an audience and truth is secondary. And I think in papism, that's obviously the case. Truth is always going to be secondary because it's really just about the Pope. It's about defending the papacy at all costs. And theology is really ancillary to that. And you can see that in this little ridiculous soap opera. But does it not once again, for the thousandth time, exemplify the main point that we've been making forever, which is that I thought the papacy provided truth, clarity, precision, and unity, the things that orthodoxy could never provide and can never give. And yet the top papal apologists throw each other other under the bus over the papacy's apostasy. What greater vindication could I ask for than that? Thank you. Thank you, you buffoons, for once again undermining and helping, undermining your own position and helping our position. And just all of the people who, who had absolutely no lack, no discernment falling into these fake pretenses of people putting up how pious they are. Can you not see that that's pretense? Like, what is wrong with you guys? Seriously. Anyway, so that was one... Uh, surprising incident this week and i i mean the whole thing is just going to keep unraveling because it's not ultimately about erica barra it's not ultimately about michael lofton it's ultimately about whether in fact the papacy is the case whether in fact it is a giant organized crime institution as i've been again arguing and it amazes me too that all of these roman catholics especially and it, this will tie into the uh, so-called Orthodox as well that have uh, stepped forward to come after us in the last few weeks. Why is it that these people, who many of you just blindly put your trust in and want to believe that I'm your, your villain or your bad guy, why is it that they never talk about the public factual things that I talk about? And you could pretend and play your little piety games all day long as if, well, I don't care about those things because I, I only care, dear brother, to pray and to tell everyone, show everyone how much I pray. And, uh... But they don't talk about the history of Gladio. They're not talking about Vatican organized crime, which is publicly demonstrable 
especially since the revelations of Gladio's in 1990. Do you know Gladio didn't come out until 1990? So let's look through this timeline of events, this wonderful timeline of events in the Paul Williams book, which I'm going to be lecturing through part two tonight. So I finished Kohler's book. Remember Michael Lofton saying that, you know, Jay Dyer over there talking about uh, uh, that the Pope is involved in some kind of globalism. Jay Dyer talked like he thought he's over there arguing that the Pope is involved in some kind of globalism, dog. What is even that? What is even that, dog? What is even that, dog? Yo, Eric, get your hands off of my donuts, dog. Yo, that's mine, bro. I brought you your McDonald's over there. Get off of mine. You on my donut tip, dog. What's, what is even that? What is even globalism? What is even that? So you're going to listen to you idiots out there. Put your trust in some goober. Doesn't even know what globalism is thinks that Francis is not involved in globalism, or he's just malicious and doesn't want to admit that. As the Vatican publicly puts out inclusive capitalism statements and documents, I mean, the Abu Dhabi thing, somebody made a good point on Twitter, that's that's not even as bad as Pachamama. Pachamama was actually worse. But for some reason, I guess, people are. it's easier to see the absurdity of a giant Islamic faith center that Francis is part of. So nobody can argue against this other than that you just worship the Pope, right? I mean, the Pope could erect giant Moloch statues in St. Peter's Square and, you know, Lofton and half of these people would, they would be like, hey dog, look, it may be human sacrifice, but look, that's a symbol of the Eucharist, dog. That's just a symbol. So just because they eating babies on the uh, lawn of St. Peter's. I know St. Peter's don't have a lawn, but it sounds funnier. Yo, that's just a symbol of uh, the Eucharist. And I know that's a bad Lofton impression, but I'm doing it that way on purpose. Yo. Thank you. Free coffees. Jamie brings free coffee. Thank you. I don't debate people. I hate people. That's what people think, right? I don't always debate people, but when I do, it's because I hate people. <laughs> no, I mean, imagine a hundred years ago living in a society where men had to like, I don't know, build bridges all day and shit. And then like getting, and then and being told that and go to war and die in war and being told that you're mean on the internet. Okay, imagine their, their approach to what, we deal with as what is manliness on the internet. I mean, could you imagine what, like, it's just, it's just pathetic, right? Let's look at the chronology of the history of the Vatican CIA relations and the Vatican organized crime relationships, which are detailed very excellently in a very concise way in the wonderful book by Paul Williams, Operation Gladio. The unholy alliance between the Vatican, the CIA, and organized crime. And again, remember that Gladio wasn't public until the 1990s. Like 1990 is when this came out. That's crazy. 
And there have been people talking about Gladio uh, a long time ago, but people, nobody believed it. They didn't know what, so what is that, right? So it kind of took, I guess, the end of the Cold War for uh, Gladio to come out. And so in the uh, subscriber section, we'll be getting into Daniel Ganser's chapter on Gladio in Turkey, because Gladio in Turkey is really relevant to, for the story of Ali Agka and the assassination attempt on John Paul II. And that's relevant because of this neocon spin book spies in the vatican which says oh the kgb were behind that oh really so let's see what his sources were which they had just happened to be two cia people so that's not very reliable we'll get into all that in the part two for subscribers but part one says or excuse me the, the williams book says in 1942 we have pius XII creating the uh vatican bank connection with lucky luciano who was at that time recruited into the Office of Naval Intelligence, which I did a whole breakdown of the history of the mafia and organized crime and CIA and the ONI uh, two years ago. 1943, we get um, Operation Huxley, which begins the drug trade, uh, the heroin operations. 1945, we get these conferences where uh, mafia and CIA people are meeting and they kind of plan the structure of Gladio or what are called the stay-behind units. That will be NATO's secret stay-behind units connected with not just Bill Donovan, but also Galen, Reinhard Galen of the Galen Org, uh, former uh, SS, uh, former um, tiny mustache man, henchman. And if you don't understand why this even matters, well, all the stuff that's going on in Ukraine ties into this because it's this which trained all of those wild guys, Azov, in the Ukraine. And notice all of the American prelates uh, and even the OCA prelates and OCA uh, people, including Antiochian people as well, who uh, call me a bad person. Guess what? Guess who they typically side with? Oh, those crazy tiny mustache men followers in Ukraine. Oh, so wait a minute. I am an evil. Uh, what am I supposed to be? A right. They call me an extremist. They don't call me right-wing extremists, which is interesting because a lot of the analyses perhaps would say, what, that I'm not right-wing? I don't know. But the the preferred term is extremist, which is generic because it doesn't say exactly what I'm extreme about or where my ideas are extreme. It just kind of loosely associates me with some kind of, quote, extremism. Um, but now, wait a minute. You guys support actual tiny mustache men battalions, which would make you extremists. But then you pretend that you're Americanist liberals or you're just so ignorant that you don't even know that this is how this whole thing runs, right? So again, what Roman Catholic public person has talked to you at all about the Vatican Bank? What uh, of any of them have talked to you at all about Gladio? Have any of them covered how KGB blackmailed people? in the Vatican and in the Orthodox Church. We just did multiple streams on that. And guess what? It's not just the KGB that uh, operated in that way during the Cold War. Today's institutions do the exact same thing. And we just did multiple streams this week on that with Rachel and myself. And we've done multiple streams on this with competent Orthodox historians and authorities. Jim Jotras, Metropolitan Jonah, the history of the Cold War, KGB in Russia, 
So we actually have credibility on these topics. And I just expect that my audience is smart enough to recognize when I'm joking and being silly and when I'm being serious and covering serious topics. But of course, I guess people that are like sort of clicking through, they don't know that, they don't see that, I don't care. Like I'm more interested in an audience that is actually informed, educated, can take action, knows their stuff than a wide audience of idiots uh, which is what quite a few of these people obtain, right? So a lot of the bigger name people out there, uh, you know, you're talking about your Matt Frads, these kind of people, they're going to they're gonna get a big audience of people who know absolutely nothing. And will they still have that audience in four or five years? We'll see. There's no shortage of suckers out there that fall for all kinds of stupid things. And it's amazing to me how many people just fall for the uh, public piety pretense stuff like you just put up memes just put up a pfp of an icon and you're you could be a 19 year old dork uh who actually just openly promotes straight up heresies like patriarch prime and thousands of people will follow you because you're based in red pill but none of them ever talk about anything like this which i'm pretty sure this is kind of important seems like it matters what might be funding and promoting the move towards going back to Rome and the ecumenist movement to unite with Francis. Maybe this matters. Or maybe you just want to be a soy idiot and pretend that this doesn't exist. And you could just say that I'm a bad man. But none of those people will ever, ever publicly discuss any of these topics. They wouldn't, they wouldn't dare enter into a public debate on especially this kind of stuff, right? Because, number one, I guarantee you, not a single person that makes these kinds of criticisms has read a single geopolitical text at all. I, gu I guarantee you, none of these people would know. They don't even know what Gladio is. They couldn't tell you anything. They don't know what the P2 is. They couldn't tell you any of this stuff. And we've been talking about studying this stuff for at least 20 years. And we just continue to go deeper and deeper and deeper. So I really wish these people who do these really passive aggressive criticisms would actually just come forward and make their case and debate and discuss. But again, I think that's, that's what a man does. A man expects another man to step forward, make their case, uh, be able to handle a little bit of ribbing. But so many of these people are just complete fragile weirdos and they, they can't handle any. They can't handle one person criticizing them. They have a meltdown. They're, if their friend disagrees, they unfriend them. Their closest apologist friend. So, you know, and it's it's amazing too because it's it's so obvious to me that a lot of it's like just the easy kind of lazy track to be really lazy and just to Oh, uh, he's talking about something that I don't, I, I don't know about. Uh, I've never heard of this. Um, he's uh, a bad guy. Let me explain why he's mean. And I will undercut his uh, morals and make him look morally like a bad person. And then people won't listen to him. That doesn't work except on the, the most, the lowest quality audience people. So you can gain a bunch of low quality people. And again, you know, one thing I've noticed, so five years ago when we had Antiochian 
uh, individuals coming after me, trying to get me excommunicated like Father Damick. And there were, there were people at that time who default sided with Father Damick because, well, he's Father Damick. And I did a criticism as well of Father Stephen Freeman and a bunch of people default sided with him just because, well, he's Stephen Freeman. Who are you? Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'm the, the worst human being ever, but, but what, what about what I'm saying? Is it true or is it false? Right. And do you know how many people over the years have later said to me, you know what? You were right in all that. I can't believe I didn't understand how ridiculous Father Damick was. I can't believe I didn't see how ridiculous a lot of these OCA clerics were. I just thought you were being, you know, mean on the internet. No. Why would why would I work for years, five, six years and more, even before being Orthodox, to try to bring people to this if my goal was to not bring people to this? It doesn't make any sense. So let's get back to this excellent chronology. 1947, at the 46, uh, Lucky Luciano hosts the Havana Conference, one of the key uh, mob conferences that will relate to the eventual funding of Gladio. 1946, 1947, CIA is established. 1947, uh, we start to get heroin imported into America, especially to black communities. And that was done at the behest of the OSS and the CIA on purpose. They talked about doing it. At those meetings, 1948, the Vatican uh, is then given $65 million in 1948 money for a secret black fund. In 1951, the CIA drops, uh, develops drug trade together with uh, uh, KMT. This is the Golden Circle area where you can uh, cultivate poppies and all that kind of stuff in that area. This is before Afghanistan. Then we have the establishment of Mockingbird in 1953, which is the CIA's control of the media at that time, print and uh, TV journalism. 1955, establishment of the Catholic connections and circles of Gladio, which included priests, by the way. Priests who were actually trained to fight, which is against the canons, but Roman Catholics, of course, don't care about canons. Uh, 1956, we have Licio Gelli. Licio Gelli is a fascinating character because he was the highest ranking Freemason in Italy. And he was the uh, head of the Grand Lodge, if I recall, and basically became the head of uh, all of the P2 Lodges. And the P2 Lodges are the fascists that are recruited into uh, the stay-behind units. So yes, I know that sounds odd. What I thought Mussolini was against Masons. Yeah, but this is after the war. Then the uh, Allies and NATO start recruiting and creating the Gladio units that are the right-wing terror units. And the same people that are involved in these are the people who train uh, the School of America's people and the Al-Qaeda people. So it's not hard to figure this out. It's a very simple strategy of tension plan. Same strategy of tension model, again, used for the School of America's, which included Jesuits, by the way, used for the uh, Al-Qaeda training because it's tra- the people are trained by the CIA. Can you not figure this out? Green Berets are training these people to do this stuff. So Licio Gelli uh, is this top P2 Mason and he's in charge of 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Of the uh, P2 lodges everywhere. Okay. And there's another meeting where we get this figure named uh, Michelle Sendona in 1957. And he becomes the mob financialist also the same year as the Appalachian Conference, the famous mafia conference. And that was still at a time when people said the mafia didn't exist, right? Remember, uh, what's his name? Uh, J. Edgar Hoover famously had this public statement. There is no such thing as organized crime in America. It doesn't exist. As the mafia conference was happening. <laughs> it's kind of unbelievable. But then we have a creation in 1957 of various uh, front banks. And then 1958, we have the uh, famous uh, Don Vito Genovese goes to jail. 1959, P2 lodges are established on NATO bases. So this is spreading literally to NATO, NATO uh, military bases. Gladio mounts the 1960 coup in Turkey. And that's relevant because this is this proves that the CIA was there uh, basically setting up the Turkish Secret Service, the MIT, and that's what Ganser's book covers in the chapter on Mehmet Ali Agka, the would-be assassin of John Paul II, who was recruited via the uh, CIA Grey Wolves in Turkey. So, in other words, when you see this right here about the coup in Turkey, that's the CIA ensconcing themselves in Turkey to basically set up and control the uh, Turkish Secret Service, the MIT, and then they would go and recruit these groups of young guys called Grey Wolves who were Turkish supremacists who would uh, involve themselves in assassination operations. And so uh, Ali Agka had killed a person named Ipeki prior to being tasked with the John Paul II assassination attempt. We'll get into the details of that uh, in the part two stream uh, for subscribers for last week's stream. Gladio then mounts up, uh, let's see, Paul Hallowell, CIA operative, forms the Castle Bank and Trust. It will be one of the uh, shell banks, front banks for this giant operation. There's many of these, by the way. There's multiple, there's like 10 or 15 banks that are all kind of tied into this big Vatican bank scam. 
Paul Hellowell, uh, let's see, 1962, the strategy, strategy, strategy of tension, which is Gladio basically, gets underway with the murder of Enrico Mate. Vatican is bugged. Uh, Kohler talked about that, the CIA bugging the Vatican. They wanted to make sure that the Paul VI didn't side with the Soviets because CIA was concerned that Paul VI was the pink pope. Well, well John Twenty-Third and Paul VI. And so they actually helped Paul VI get elected, the CIA, according to uh, Williams. And But they were concerned that he wouldn't stay on, on course. So they bugged the Vatican. Uh, and then in 1963, Paul VI gives the papal knighthood to Licio Gelli, the head of uh, P2 Masons in Italy. And that's amazing because, you know, it's not like in the 1960s, the Vatican was knighting uh, complete demonic goblins and nobody nobody else ever since because John Paul II knighted uh, what's the Satanist goblin from England? I just went blank. The BBC demon guy with <laughs> the worst necrophiliac. I just went blank. Uh, the most obvious, uh, Savile, I'm sorry. I don't know why I couldn't think of it. Yeah, so remember uh, John Paul II knighted Jimmy Savile and he didn't know. He didn't know. Of course he knew. Of course he knew. You think he wasn't vetted by Vatican Secret Service and to get knighted by John Paul II. John Paul II was consistently advised and briefed by the CIA throughout his whole tenure. He didn't know who Jimmy Savile was. He didn't know. He's a good man. He's a good man. Oh, that's why he covered up all the pedo stuff for so long, because he's a good man, right? He didn't know. He did, did, did know. Has Eric Ibarra or Lofton or any of those people ever talked about any of this? Have they ever talked about any of this? He didn't know. He met with him, but he didn't know. He, he didn't know. He didn't know. Oh, okay. So, yeah, the, the biggest uh, assassin slash blackmailer Satanist in the world at that time. Right. Oh, well, they didn't know who he was. Oh, they just, they just handed out a papal knighthood. And because there was such a, a this looked so bad, then they started saying, well, maybe we should Maybe we should strip him of it. Oh, like you didn't know who he was at the time. Like you didn't know who this British intelligence fixer was when you gave him the knighthood. Just like they didn't know. Paul VI didn't know who Leachio Gelly was. Of course he knew who he was. Leachio Gelly is setting up the money to come into the Vatican bank from the CIA for the Gladio operations. <laughs> what do you mean? I don't know who he was. I mean, just the stupidity of some of these people. It's kind of unbelievable. Like the naivety, I guess it's the naivety. It's not even stupidity. Cause a lot of these people are smart people. 
but they're naive about how the world really works. And they're arrogant because when you start telling them about how the world really works, you're a mean person, conspiracy theorist, and I don't have to listen to you because you're mean. Just childish. Childishness. It's like, when are we going to be dealing with adults and not with children here, right? So, of course, right, all the Pope Splainers, oh, this doesn't mean anything. It's a, it's an accident. We, uh, he didn't know. Nobody knew who he was, even though you have to be vetted by Secret Service to get near the Pope and to be not... Imagine thinking that you could be knighted by the Pope, and you, but they don't know who he is. I mean, it's just like the stupidity. Maybe it is just stupidity. I don't know. Cowardice, stupidity, I'm not sure. But So let's get back to the book because this timeline is amazing. Um, so 1963, Paul VI gives the papal knighthood to this complete demon goblin who was a, an avid atheist. Organized crime figure running the P2 lodges out throughout all of Italy, Licio Gelli. 1964, they in, in, induct Michelle Sindona, who is the ultimate organized crime financier. He's the a mafia's organized crime financier in Italy who creates all the front banks. And what's amazing is that it's the same model as FTX. So if you notice how the FTX money laundering scam worked where they would take the client's money and then gamble with it and then everybody lost everything these people did the exact same thing with italy's pension funds in all the vatican bank scandals of this time so they just robbed millions of people millions of dollars it's pretty amazing oh but the vatican bank is a holy thing right imagine being a roman catholic and not believing that this is a giant organized crime racket. And when you tell them it's a giant organized crime racket, they tell you how you're a bad person. Imagine, imagine that. This book is written by a Catholic. Okay. As are pretty much all of these. Kohler's book, Roman Catholic. David Winhoff, Roman Catholic. Paul Williams, Catholic professor. So it's all your own people. Okay, I'm not reading Orthodox conspiracy books. Reading your own books. 1968, the Medellin Conference. Monsignor Paul Marcinkus becomes the Institute of Religious Works. That's a Vatican Bank secretary. And he ends up uh, as one of the, chief, the key uh, organized crime figures here who I think he ends up getting arrested right before this all comes, uh, comes crashing down. It's Marcinkus who's one of the key figures running this. He's the actual Vatican Bank guy, right? Um... 1968, Ted Theodore Shackley uh, makes the deal with Santos Traficante, who is the Florida organized crime boss in Saigon, to import the heroin through Miami. They set up a front bank down there. 1969, Michelle Sendona uh, is officially anointed the, point, the Pope's banker. So the most famous organized crime figure in finance in Italy is the official papal banker. So let's work our way through the rest of this chronology. And uh, I share this chronology on my Twitter today. So if you want to see that, if you don't get all this, you can go see it on my Twitter. Uh, CIA establishes in 1970 the MIT in Turkey. 
That's the Turkish uh, secret service wherein you get the recruiting of Ali Agha uh, through the Grey Wolves. 1970, Borghese, that's, I think, Italian Gladio. 1971, CIA funding for Opus Dei. And uh, that's a big part of this book. The uh, black money that goes from the CIA to, to Opus Dei into the Vatican Bank. And that's part of how they funded Gladio. Vatican Bank establishes its first shell company, 1971. Uh, let's go down. BCCI, Bank for Commerce and Credit International. That's, of course, the big uh, t terror funding slash uh, Iran-Contra bank. Uh, David Rockefeller creates Trilateral, 1973. Let's see. Coming down, we get Henry Kissinger sets up, 1976, the Safari Club, which is a uh, Bush-connected uh, deep state terror network. CIA funds Hekimatar, Holy Warriors in the Afghanistan poppy fields. This leads to the Afghanistan conflict. Uh, 1978, John Paul I assassination. Uh, that, by the way, there's a great article at RT that covers that as also perhaps one of these potential. Let's go to that. <clears throat> and this is relevant because both of these these seem very these seem like similar operations. When we look at the incident with John Paul I and then the incident with John Paul II. So again, a lot of this is theory because we just, a lot of this we don't know exactly what was going on, but this, uh, the assassination of John Paul I is 100% uh, part of this, this Gladio stuff. And this is the reason they had to take him out most likely was because he was threatening to talk about and expose all of this Vatican bank corruption. And so they took him out. And then this also contributed though, by taking him out. If, if this was done by the West, then it contributed to winning the cold war. Now that's relevant because the exact same thing occurs with John Paul II. And that literally ends the Cold War because the John Paul II assassination attempt and then the CIA funding of uh, Solidarity and Lech Walesa is actually what leads to the end of the Cold War. And that's covered extensively in here. Now, this is a pro-neocon, pro-John Paul II Cold Warrior book. Okay, so this is a defense of that. And what Kohler admits in this book is that, yeah, of course, the CIA totally 100% the entire time advised, handled John Paul II. And that was so that he could be a symbol to end the Cold War, bring down the wall, as well as his, they coached him on his uh, support for solidarity and Lech Walesa. Okay. So that's what basically is the key ideological and also economic collapse of the Soviet Union, victory of the Cold War for the West, right? Because Valesa organized all these strikes and that really damaged the, uh, the Soviet economic situation.
And all of that money for solidarity came from the Vatican Bank via this stuff. Do you understand how that works now? See that? So what I'm saying is that I don't know the exact specifics of either attempt, but we can fit this into this Cold War picture and get an idea of probably what went down because if John Paul I was assassinated, which most likely he was, then that was because of all of these drama, all this drama connected to the Vatican Bank. And here is this article, if you want to read it, it's pretty good, by Neil Clark, who is a British analyst. This makes perfect sense with what's going on over here in John Paul II. So the assassination attempt of John Paul II, right? It's exact same issues as what's behind the John Paul I assassination. Again, even if we don't know exactly who did the John Paul I assassination, what we do know is that it was because of all of this Vatican Bank Gladio stuff. Now, remember, in 1990 is when Gladio first comes out. Nobody knows about Gladio until 1990, except certain people have been mentioning it, like people in Turkish intelligence, and they didn't even know exactly the extent of it or what, what this was all about. And that's why the Vatican Bank scandal is such a big idea, a big issue, is because that's all part of this Gladio, Cold War, stay behind, strategy of tension, giant program. So actually, Gladio is a giant program throughout all of Europe and even in neutral countries, as Daniel Ganser's PhD thesis has shown. So let's look at what actually was going on with Gladio. We look at his chapters here. Italy, Great Britain, United States, France, Spain, Portugal, Belgium, Netherlands, Luxembourg. Denmark, Norway, Germany, Greece, Turkey. Oh, you see, Gladio was a wide-ranging European program for a strategy of tension and constant terror. Now, this doesn't make communism good. So all you slow boys that are two-dimensional, one-dimensional thinkers that think that when I talk about this, that means I'm saying the, the commies are good. Did I not explain this to you in the analysis of lives of others? What did I say in the analysis of lives of others? That East German Stasi dude that's harassing the playwright and the actress? It's a nightmare. But what I told you is that what these people are now setting up is 10 times worse than that. So it's from bad to worse. Can you not understand that? You work for Dugan. You're a communist. I just told you that communism is terrible. But now I'm telling you that Fortune 100 Malthusianism technocracy is 100 times worse. From bad to worse. They're both bad systems. Why can none of you stupid people understand that? Both of those are bad systems, but the system that won that is now in power, that is putting all of this into place is even worse, which your prelates and clerics tell you doesn't exist. Not all prelates. And I didn't say all the OCA was bad. So again, every time I talk about this stuff, people just miss, 
misinterpret and take my words out of context. I never said everybody in the OCA was bad. I didn't say everybody in the Antiochians was bad. I didn't say everybody in Rokor was good. Never said any of that. So there's a faction of people in the OCA amongst clerics and laity. And you can figure out who that is if you just look at people in Ben Gabe's circle and who he works for and who he goes after. Okay. By the way, isn't it funny that he put up the tweet saying to avoid me, Father Josiah Trenum, and Father Peter Hears, and then he got scared and took it down after everybody was calling him out and making fun of him. This is the same dude over at Theoria. Is In his picture, he's got purple hair, so I don't know what that tells you. That tells you anything, but he's the same guy that... See if I can pull this up. Was teamed up working with Damick. I don't know if they still work together, but they might as well. So it's, again, it's all the same networks of people, dude. It's like people go, who are these people? What's going on? Can't figure it out. Okay. Well, it's these people. So this very manly man. Let's check out his podcast over here. What do you want? This manly man. <clears throat> so this is the person who is tasked by uh, certain people in the OCA with calling us out, watching us, seeing what we Hello, talk welcome about. Welcome back. Today I speak with John, who is a member of the so Western today Right. Today I speak to John. My name is Ben Cade. Look at my hair. It's just kind of growing up towards the ceiling. Maybe I just woke up with a little bit of electricity in my head. I don't know. I touched a Tesla ball today and it made my hair grow. Church, the Western Rite Orthodox Church. Today we'll be discussing, well, what is the Western Rite and why it's important to the Orthodox oh, mission hey, in America. Oh. But before we jump in there, I want to share with you a word of encouragement from a fellow viewer or listener who called into our voicemail box oh. to leave the following. Hello. I was just so he goes by the name Wholesome Henry. So anybody that has to tell you their wholesomeness publicly probably isn't wholesome. And this is the same individual who, uh, when a young man took his life, Ben Cade capitalized on that by tweeting about how it was the fault of Father Peter Hears for giving bad spiritual advice and basically was looking for internet clicks from a teen suicide. So, yeah, that's the kind of person that we're dealing with here. That's that's the caliber of individual that we're talking about. Oh, and he's got a wonderful book here on, on gender and the soul. He's just so sweet. And I hope all you sweet people just run over there and give him sweet kisses. So, yeah, there you go. So that's one guy. And I wonder who he... I wonder who he might be tasked with. Who sent him out? I wonder. Well, uh, in the future, when the, if these people continue to push, then I'll just do a stream and name all of these people for you. So, But I, I'm waiting to see what they do. If they keep pushing and if they keep... Uh, trying to do this coming after me, which I never talked to this dude. I don't know anything about this dude. This dude, of course, was tasked with coming after us. And you can see what kind of a guy we're dealing with here. So, 
wholesome Henry with his purple hair, purple haired people eater. This is good advice from LCA and Antiochian priests. Don't listen to Father Hears and Father Trenum or J. Dyer. Just listen to me because I'm so sweet and my hair just goes up in the, in the air like a little chia pit. But they're just so mean over there. They're just so mean. And by the way, lock your churches down and get your get your 15th booster. Because ben, I'm Ben Gabe and I told you to get your 15th booster. Did you? I hope you did. I hope you did. Also, lock your churches down. And if you don't, you're liable to uh, murder charges, according to Archbishop Benjamin. And I'll take you to court for murder charges, is what the Archbishop said. That's just such a wise policy because they're such, they're such righteous men. So there's Ben Gabe for you. That's that's Ancient Faith Radio Father Damick circles there for you. And by the way, just to be clear, here's what Lofton said. Here's Eric Ibarra. Eric can't just put up a comment. It's got to be a wall of text. Michael asked me if I thought he... He should be ashamed. About Pope Francis, I said yes. I'm afraid to say so. That is when Michael accused me of going dark, down a dark road that he wanted nothing to do with. And he broke his professional relationship with me and subsequently unfriended me on Facebook. I also heard that he did a Patreon video about me in private, the contents of which I know nothing. So there's Eric Ibarra explaining his breakup with Big Daddy Lofton, Loft Dog. Yeah, boy. So again, these are the types of individuals that we deal with here. This is who we're dealing with. Did I not go to the, was I on the wrong page or is it just behind? Yeah, there you go. You guys saw it. Yeah. The screen back here is a little behind. So there you go. So the nexus of individuals who uh, are now, you know, furious at me, who hate me, including the cleric faction, you're talking about people who want ecumenism they want skittles everywhere they're, they're, these are people who openly pu push this stuff okay and covertly push it so some of them say they're against it but they covertly push it and i know we know all of the individuals all the priests and all of them who do it and uh yeah it's just really tempting to just publicly list them all because they've all made lists about us who to avoid and so we just need a list over here of the people who put up the list of who to avoid because we keep getting asked about it. And so, and so many of these people operate in the shadows, right? So they actually derive power from the fact that they don't openly come out and do any of this, right? So the bishops behind this task Ben Cabe with doing it because they, will, they won't actually do it, right? So they get this goober... this uh, soy man goober to come on the internet and do it for him. Anyway. So for the people that are asking, why do you always talk about this? Why do you talk about these people? 
how dare you speak to... Well, these people are constantly trying to subvert and undermine. So sometimes you have to clap back. And they keep pushing. They push us. They push and push. And so many people are just total cowards, especially in the church circles. They won't do anything. They won't speak out. They're complete cowards and scared of all this stuff. And I mean, over here, I'm not, I don't care. Like, I'm not under any of these people. Like, they can't excommunicate me. They can't, they can hold their meetings and ban their parishioners from listening to me, which is weird. Like, and it's interesting too that none of those people will actually deal with any of the arguments, any of the issues, any of the, it's all just bad person, uh, avoid him, bad person, avoid him, bad person, avoid him. And again, that only works on the lowest quality individuals, right? The people that are completely turned off their brains, the boomers in the church, when they, you know, when they commune TRANS people, when they commune Skittles people, they're just wanting to keep the those boomers that are there who are fine with all that and oblivious to all that. Which, by the way, a large portion of the OCA is that way in terms of the laity. I mean, a lot of OCA churches, they'll commune anybody. Oh, oh but if you're, uh, if you're against it, we need to have a talk. Maybe you need to be banned. Maybe you need to be excommunicated. Oh, but if you're for it, maybe we should raise you to being a cleric or a bishop. Like, like, Oh, you're for all this. Oh, wow. You might make a great bishop in the future. So, so that's how it actually works. And I'm sorry to tell you that, but that's the reality of it. And that's not me making this stuff up. That's me after talking to five different priests about it, including people who were run out of the OCA. So anyway, if you would hit like and share, also you could support the stream via the super chat function. Let's get to the rest of the uh, Williams book here, in terms of the Gladio operation, because there's just a little bit left. So we have, uh, let's see, let's get down to now. You start to see why Afghanistan matters because Afghanistan is another um, opium market. You see, that's a big part of it. And let's see, we get Licio Gelli and George Bush Sr. Planned an October surprise. CIA forms pun, uh, partnership with Honduran drug lords. This is where we get the School of America stuff. And Iran-Contra. P2 gets exposed in 1981. There's a solidarity strike. That's the Lech Valesa solidarity CIA John Paul II thing. Uh, Ali Agka attempts assassination of John Paul II in 1981. Uh, people get assassinated blah 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 1981 uh, gary webb exposes the mena arkansas bill clinton uh drug hub in mena arkansas 1982 uh banco d'ambrosio roberto calvi is found assassinated hanging from the blackfriars bridge because that vatican bank connected organization collapsed when they stole everybody's money uh, just like the FTX model, exact exact same model. Uh, let's see. Michelle Sindona uh, ends up going to jail, and he's poisoned in jail, so he can't rat anybody out. Arrest uh, a warrant for Archbishop Marcinkus in 1987 for running. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All of this at the Vatican Bank. Uh, 1996, William Colby meets his mysterious death, probably assassinated. Colby is the one that set up Gladio originally with Pius XII. He was stationed in Italy. He was stationed in France, I think, and then in Italy before he became CIA director and before he ran Phoenix program, he was doing the uh, setting up the Gladio stuff. Um, oh, yeah, Fatula Gulen. Remember this? This is covered in Ingdahl's books. And uh, he comes up because he's part of this uh, CIA Turkish network. And they bring Fatula Gulen to the United States, to like Pennsylvania, I think. And let's see, what else? April 2012, Vatican Bank, which is the IOR Institute of Religious Works, fails a transparency test. Shocker. By the way, there's there's been constant Vatican Bank scandals since all this. Do you understand? This is not like an this is an isolated incident of bad apples. No, this is a this is the most famous and most secretive bank on earth that is perfect for doing this. That's the problem with this exemption of DC, City of London, and Vatican City is that it allows them to be their own kind of above law protectorates that creates the atmosphere for that is a it is a perfect means for all this black operation, black market, black funding. So anyway. Hopefully you guys are starting to understand, get the picture. Is that clear enough? Do people understand that? Or are we dealing with people that are so stupid that you, you think this is conspiracy theories? Okay. There was two elements where I talked about theory in this. Okay. One element was the theory about John Paul I. And then two competing theories about John Paul II. Nowhere else in this conversation was I talking about theory. The rest of this was just from public geopolitical writers and analysts wasn't talking about theory 
I do want to hit on uh, more of the Galen network and this kind of stuff because this is fascinating and it ties into the Ukraine stuff. So I didn't even realize how tied into this Ukraine stuff all this was until I got into the the Gladio stuff, right? And by the way, isn't it funny that Kohler's neocon Cold War thesis, thing, there's no mention of Gladio, no mention of Vatican Bank scandal, no mention of PEDO scandal. So where was all that in your... And what is the real issue here with all this blackmail and all this stuff? This is how the Vatican got corrupted and controlled. And by the way, this is partly why Ratzinger was forced to step down. So that's why all this matters. And by the way, that doesn't mean make Ratzinger was some trad hero. Okay. Ratzinger is just another type of modernist that's not as radical as these other figures. And then when we get into the history of Bergoglio and his mentors and his background with World Economic Forum people, it's patently obvious what what is going on. That's why Ratzinger didn't want his book about Skittles seminaries put out until he passed away. Because he's telling you that this is the mafia. I'm not talking about the Italian mafia. They don't really matter anymore. The real mafia, these people. CIA and NATO. That's who's been controlling the Vatican. Clear as day. And all of these books testify. In fact, even the book that says it's a good thing testifies to the fact that that's who controls all this. These international networks. And that's why Francis goes along with all of the same things that Klaus does. Openly. That's why Francis is creating the ecumenist Abu Dhabi triple faith, triple attack, triple threat center. Because ecumenism has always been a CIA project. <clears throat> now, I know it extends before the CIA, but as we saw in the Rockefeller's authorized biography, and as we see extensively documented in traditional Catholic author David Wimhoff's book, ecumenism became a key tool for the Western power structure underneath the CIA and the Jesuits and the Vatican as a way to manipulate and steer religion into being an NGO and ultimately to being something that's adjacent to and an attache to the World Economic Forum Global Great Reset crowd. It's all the same people. So who runs it? Trilateral Commission or the CFR or the Bilderberg Group or Great Reset Davos people? Who runs all? It's all the same people. They're all part of the same steering committees. These are not... These are the same people that are in the different committees. So I'm sorry for the slow people out there that can't figure this out. This is how the world's really really run. I'm trying to break it down and make it easy for you. Does that make sense? Are we getting it? Do people understand? And all these dum-dums that think that the tiny mustache men in Ukraine are based... These are not based people. Okay, these are assets and tools of Washington dummy. You see this? I mean, this all this Galen Network stuff and the Otto Scorzani stuff, like it, it goes so deep. You understand? This is Haaretz. Can you read this? 
Haretz. Tiny Mustache Man's Key Guy, Otto Scorzani. He became a hitman and a trainer for Israeli people. Does that make sense? Did you know that? Oh, base trad. Oh, base, base, base trad, base. Oh. You're just, you guys are just really naive, man. It's just so silly, right? This, this is, these 20th century ideologies are not real things. And I, I can't, I don't know how to break it to you guys. Base, fascist, base, communist, base, socialist, base, more capitalism. These are all controlled quadruplectics. And yeah, some of these are worse than the other ones. That doesn't mean the ones that are less worse are the ideals. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry it's this way. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. So you got the people that think that all this is based. So one of these groups that was coming after me on Twitter. That all use the, the NAFO trolls, right? They were all championing the TRANS on their profiles. So imagine the upside down world where you think these people are based in trad as they support and champion their quest to fight for TRANS. What? And so uh, this is, if you want to read more about this, here is Covert Action Magazine. There is the, a write-up on that they did. But I, I think that you really can't understand this stuff until you get into the, the Gladio stuff. Like Gladio is really solidifying and making sense of a lot of this for me. Cause I mean, I was already against all this goofy Ukraine stuff, but I, I didn't really understand. I knew, and I knew that Ukraine was, uh, as this article says, a 75 year old proxy for the West all the way back to, but I was trying to figure out, well, how do we get all these Azov people there in Ukraine? Oh, it's going back to the Galen network. That's how, and the Galen network is a instrumental component of Gladio. That's how, and that ties into paperclip. Now all the, Level one red pill people will be like, oh, you, why are you talking about paperclip? That's basic bitch conspiracy. You got to get deep into it. Realize that it's really about Zion. Blah, blah. Like as if I don't know all that. As if I didn't just talk about Otto Scorzani. But you could throw all those people for a loop and be like, hey, wait a minute. Why is Otto Scorzani tra training Mossad publicly? Can you figure that out? 
and that would melt their minds because they, they can't think beyond these really basic kind of good guy, bad guy situations. And all the trad cats are some of the worst because they, they just, they can't fathom that the CIA took over their church in the 20th century. So they have to frame everything as this good guy, bad guy situation, which is what the Kohler book does where it's like, Oh, so the KGB did all this. You see KGB, KGB tried to kill John Paul the first KGB tried to kill John Paul the second KGB, KGB, KGB. Oh, really? So is it the KGB that runs the fortune 500? Is it the KGB that's trying to cut off peepees in the world? Really? You sure about that? Are you that dumb? It's more complex than that, unfortunately. Sorry. Anyway, so we will get into more of that in detail because we don't, we do that in the second part for the subscribers. As I said, what we're going to get into in the subscriber section is we're going to deconstruct the uh, Gladio arguments about John Paul II's assassination in here. We're going to contrast it with the Kohler book, and we're going to look to Ganser's book, his PhD thesis on Gladio, to see who has the better case. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, spoil it for you. I don't believe NATO. <laughs> I mean, NATO is saying that they're fighting with Harry Potter and, and that they're in the Marvel Universe. Okay, anything you say, I don't believe it. So to me, that's no credibility. And the Vatican and all this stuff, you understand that like that's the same power structure behind controlling the Vatican is the same power structure fighting for this stuff in Ukraine. Skittles stuff in Ukraine. And that doesn't make, it doesn't have anything to do with, oh, so you're a Russian bot. You work for Putin. No, I don't work for any of the, any governments. I work for myself. And I don't trust any public governments to be my savior. Never have. So, you know, if Putin does good things, that's great. If he does bad things, that sucks. Same, I, I'm so tired of being asked about, what do you think about Putin? What do you think about Elon Musk? What do you think about Donald Trump? I don't think much about them at all. Honestly, that I don't really don't. Like, if they do good things, that's good. If they do bad things, that sucks. But I don't sit around wondering about, speculating about Putin and Elon and Trump's motives. Because, number one, I can never figure out what people's motives I'll never know what their motives are. So, what's the point of sitting around speculating about motives? And it's just, I'm so tired of that stupid question. Because I realize, like, well, how am I supposed to answer this? Like, you want me to pick a side between whether I'm pro or anti-Trump, pro or anti-Putin, pro or anti-Elon Musk, and it's just like, this is really childish stuff, dude. I mean, the world's complex. I don't know their motives. I don't know whether they're good or bad, ultimately. So that's why I say, I don't know. And I think as you get older, you realize that, right? When you're younger, you want to be very rigid and black. Everything's black and white. Everybody's, you know, you know everything. You know who good guys and bad guys are. But you really don't know anything. All right. If you would hit like and share. Uh, 
if you want to come on the live stream and you do want to have a discussion, you disagree, you want to argue, as long as it's within YouTube terms of services or whatever, you can uh, hit like, or excuse me, hit the request to speak button. Now, because it's Lent, I'm going to try to refrain from debating anyone unless I'm just absolutely forced to reply to the worst types of arguments ever. Otherwise, I'm not really going to engage in debate just because it's Lent. And for Lent, I'm going to uh, refrain from debating. Not because anyone told me to, but just because I think it's a good practice to not focus on that kind of stuff. If you want to ask a question, if you want to speak, if you want to disagree, uh, just hit the request to speak button and I'll let you on and you can speak. Nobody wants to speak. That's a first. I should have put debate up there because if I put debate, then people are chomping at the bits. But I didn't want to put debate because I'm trying not to debate. So I put discussion and chat. Why are you always wanting to debate? Well, for one, because a lot more people will be engaged if you put debate. If you put discussion and chat, that people are not really hip to that. Why, why do I have the foot cam? Because I have a stupid glass desk. That's one. This desk was gifted to me. And it rocks and it makes noises and it sucks. But I just have not bought a new desk. So if you want to send me super chats and buy me a new desk, okay, sure. I'll get a new desk if you send me, you know, a couple thousand dollars of super chats and I will love you and I will get a new desk. How's that? Nobody wants to chat. Nobody has any disagreements. Does anyone know about Gladio, NATO, uh, Vatican Bank? Do you want to come on? Nobody knows about this. Nobody cares. We do have a nice crowd here. We got uh, 550. All right, we got a request to speak here. Let's see who wants to speak. Buck. What's up, Buck? I'm scared to let Buck speak. I don't know what the... Makes me think of Kill Bill. Hey, I got, I got, a, I got a question for you, man. What's up, dude? All right. So, um, you know, I'm a recent... I'm catechumen right now. And uh, I have a question for you. Um... How how do I explain to my Protestant parents uh, what theosis is? I would use the biblical analogies and terminologies because Protestants are going to be, you know, the most familiar with biblical stuff. So I would say, you know, pull up J uh, John 17 and walk them through the chapter and point out that Jesus says that we're going to get a real participation in uncreated glory. And you know, glory, God's glory that he, that Jesus shared with the father and the, and the spirit before the foundation of the world can't be a creature because God's not a creature. So what we're being given is a real uncreated reality, a real uncreated gift. So that means that grace, glory, immortality, right? Paul says in first Timothy six, that God alone dwells in immortality. Those have to be uncreated realities and not created realities. So okay. you could start with those things, those, those biblical terms, or, you know, Peter says that, uh, we are partakers of the divine nature. Okay. 
Because um, I think I remember, because I, I was actually talking with a friend about this. Um, there's a part in uh, when, when Moses when Moses comes down from uh, Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, and like it was explaining that he was glowing, that, he, that, his, that his skin was glowing. And so like me and a friend of mine were talking about that, and I was like, well, maybe that's like a form of, like maybe Moses was, you know, feeling a form of theosis of at that moment. In fact, uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 that that's the model for the New Testament. So 2 Corinthians 3 says that when Moses came off the mountain and he was glowing, that he was glowing with the uncreated light. So absolutely, that's the same uncreated light of John 1. It's the same uncreated light of Matthew 17. It's the same uncreated light in John's epistle. And that's the uncreated light that is it reflected in the in the face of Moses because Moses, Paul says, was glorified in that action. So glorification is not something restricted to the eschaton like Protestants and Roman Catholics think. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I appreciate it, Jay. That's that's pretty much uh, the only question I really had for you. Um, I've definitely been trying to get my family to come at least to one liturgy with me. Good. And uh, you know, awesome. I really enjoy your content, man. And I, I also have one more question for you. Uh, when are we getting a rap album? I'm curious about that. Uh, well, we had a producer from um, one of these big shows. I won't say which one. It was the thing that we filmed last uh, week or week, two weeks ago in Texas. We filmed a big thing for one of the biggest shows out there. And he said, I want m more rap songs. So... There's quite a bit of requests for more rap songs, oh, and uh, sure, I'm, let's I'm, go, man. I'm happy to oblige. So I, I will uh, continue to give you cringe core out the wazoo. Yo, man, that's lit, bro. Oh, I appreciate it, Jay. You have a good rest of your night, man. You too, man. Thank you. Good questions. Uh, Brandy. Brandy Buck. A toque or a Brandy Buck? Fool of a toque. You got to hit unmute. I'm mute. Are you talking to me? You were muted. Oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> I just have a question. You probably covered it before, but what are your thoughts on uh, Vatican II? Yeah, we have a lot of live streams and talks uh, breaking down Vatican II. Um, I think that on the religious sphere, Vatican II was a capitulation to the liberalizing forces within uh, the Roman Catholic Church. On the geopolitical sphere, Vatican II is a capitulation to the ecumenist CIA forces that wanted to turn the Roman Catholic Church into an extension of Americanism and a form of an NGO. And that's detailed in multiple books that we've covered for many, many years. So, so it's a theological liberalization, a Protestantization, uh, and a geopolitical um, softening, uh, make it, turning the, the Roman Catholic Church into a form of soft power. Right. I, I agree with that. I was wondering, like, how do you feel as a Catholic with all of these, um, with with this kind of stuff going well, on? I'm Orthodox, so I'm not a Roman Catholic. Oh, you're Orthodox. Okay. Correct. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. So how do I feel about it? Oh, these are perfect uh, examples as to why one should be Orthodox. That's That's what I would say. Again, so that's what we were talking about at the beginning with the Lofton uh, Ibarra stuff. I mean, that's, again all the more, uh, you know, kind of vindicating um, what we've been saying. We was Byzantium. What's up, dude? Hello? Here. Hey, yeah. 
Hey Jay, um, I got a question for you about uh about I guess Eunomius's beliefs. Um, I'm currently reading a book called Aristotle on Early Christian Thought, and it's getting into I guess the contention between Eunomius and the Cappadocians. And uh, I'm just wondering, did Eunomius think that the Father's begetting of the Son was sort of like one to one identical with? a father begetting a son as preacher? Uh, he seems to, yes, because he said the, there's a, there's a paper that's really good on this, on what, uh, Eunomius thought the begetting was. Let me see if I can find it for you. And, uh, if I recall, uh, he's basically restates what's in Plotinus. So Eunomius is very Plotinian and he, he just kind of copies and pastes the uh, Plotinian argument of the... Can you mute for a second? It's really loud. Bro, can you mute when you're not talking? Oh, sorry. It's okay. Yeah, so he just uh, restates what's in Plotinus's position in terms of the second principle's uh, movement from the first principle, except that he makes it a creature. Obviously, uh, Plotinus doesn't think that the second principle is a creature. I think it's, he's an eternal emanation in Plotinus, but Eunomius's presupposition is that there's an identity thesis between whatever we say about God and or whatever we say about the father and his essence. And so if there's a dis- real distinction between father and son, then son must be, the second principle must be a creature. So yes, the answer, short answer is yes. Okay, thanks. I appreciate that. And I guess uh, my next question will be, I hope it's not a long one, but I was, I was taking notes on it, trying to see if my understanding of Eunomius was accurate. Because um, the book says he thought that the father's being unbegotten was an essential property of the father. So, And he thought that that essential property was incommunicable to the right. son. Right. And so that's why he thought the son was, wasn't God, because he's not unbegotten. Yeah, he says the essence of God is to be unbegotten, and so the son can't have that essence because it's a it's it's a form of identity thesis. Because whatever you predicate about the father is reducible to the father's essence. So if the father is to be unbegotten, and the essence of God is to be unbegotten, then the son cannot have the father's essence because he's begotten. And if you read this paper, it's called Plotinus and Eunomius: A Parallel Theology of Three Hypostases by Paniotis, Papa Georgiou. Go go to academia.edu, and the paper is called Plotinus and Eunomius: A Parallel Theology of Three Hypostases by Paniotis, Papa Georgiou. And this paper will answer uh, and give you a clearer idea of exactly what Eunomius is pulling from Plotinus. Sorry, can you run all that down to me again? I had to uh, yep. get a paper. The paper is at academia.edu, and it's called Plotinus and Eunomius, A Parallel Theology of Three Hypostases by Paniotis Papagiorgiou. And I shared it in the chat. All right. Good questions. Okay, thank you. Yeah, man, good question. Yes, that is correct. 
unbegottenness is the Father and is the divine essence, therefore the Son, if he's begotten, cannot be the same essence as the Father. Nikolai, what's up, dude? Nikolai. Unmute, man. Guys, you got to unmute when you come on. Hey, sorry. Hey, what's up, man? It's okay. Hey, I recently got into some stuff David McGowan has written. Mm -hmm. um, I read Program to Kill, and I've been getting into Laurel Canyon stuff. Have you done a stream and analysis on this before? Am I late? Yeah, I've done multiple streams on that for five or six years. Fantastic. Um, I will look into it. Yeah, uh, the first one we did, I did a whole breakdown of weird scenes inside the canyon in about 2015 or 16, maybe 2017. Uh, you can find that on my YouTube channel. Uh, I, I analyzed the whole book, and then I did a breakdown of Program to Kill around maybe a year after that. But uh, yeah, you can find all of those on my channel still. All right, great. Thanks, Ray. Yeah, good questions. It's funny too because I just uh, was talking to Mark Hacker today and I had forgotten that Pierre Patriani, the monster of Florence, was part of a satanic sect. This is the Guardian in 2001. This is crazy. And uh, Mark Hackard reminded me, he was actually talking about a different uh, case of one of the serial killers or one of the killers in, oh man, all these pop-ups, dude, get out of here. We're not giving money to you. It's your garbage magazine. So, the monster of Florence, one of the most famous serial, like I think the biggest serial killer in Italy. Amazingly. Get this. The monster of Florence may have been a satanic sect bankrolled by the secret service. Look at that. Unbelievable. So in other words, uh, probably P2, right? I mean, the Italian elite would have been part of this gladio would have been right so they would use these kinds of networks to get the dirty work done <clears throat> again backing up classic dave mcgowan thesis right there and that's mainstream media that's the guardian covering the monster of florence pierre pietro pacciani uh, who was actually part of a satanic cult. So. What am I doing? There we go. And not only that, uh, a cult apparently bankrolled by his Italian secret service. Not surprising if you're familiar with Gladio at all. Yeah, that's the kind of people that they would farm the hit, hits out to. These kind of lunatics like that. If you would uh, support us via 
Super Chats. Red Pill Rapper. What's up, dude? Hello. Hey. Hey, thanks for bringing me on, Jay. Uh, me and my wife, we're big fans of you and Rachel Wilson. I see her coming up in the chat there. Cool. What's up, man? Uh, well, I had uh, two questions for you. The first one, um, so I'm just recent catechumen, Russian Orthodox, <laughs> up here in Canada. Um, and I'm trying to get a, like, I'm an ex-Protestant, so I'm trying to get an idea of church history. And so I picked up Eusebius, the history of the church. Um, I'm just wondering your your take on that book. Is it reliable? Is it a good one for me to kind of start with? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a classic for the first few centuries. So it's very valuable for its early witness and testimony. Um, Eusebius, of course, did not end up as a saint or a church uh, father, particularly, because he ended up uh, semi-Arian. So he's a patristic writer, which is different from being a saint or a church father. Um, but it's very useful for seeing how the church operated, seeing the bishopric, seeing the priesthood, seeing all of these elements uh, in the first three centuries of the church. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, the word orthodox, lowercase, comes up a lot, I've noticed. So that's that's very interesting. That seems to be what they were going for. But my next question is that uh, I'm actually, I'm just taking off right now. I'm meeting up with uh, my Roman Catholic friends who are very concerned that when I left Protestantism, they all kind of just expected that I'd be Roman Catholic. Um, so they've kind of organized like an intervention <laughs> with their priest and um so i'm meeting up with them we're all gonna have dinner and it should be interesting and i kind of my plan is to sort of like um really fall back on the the forged doc and forged letters from constantine that they i think it was 13 popes used to justify the filioque do i have that right or and also is that a good thing to fall back on or is there something simpler that i can throw at these guys well, the papal forgeries, there are many of them, and they've been used in many cases for many different things. So you have papal forgeries being used to prop up the idea that no one can judge the first see. That's still in Roman Catholic canon law, and that's based on a Symmachian forgery. You have the donation of Constantine as a, as a forgery, which was used to prop up the, the temporal power of the papacy, the idea that the pope is above all the emperors in the world. That's actually from the uh, donation of Constantine. Uh, and there's many, many more. Like uh, you may be thinking of the contra uh, against the errors of the Greeks, which is Thomas Aquinas's book that relies on a bunch of forgeries to prove that the Eastern Church believed in the filioque. So that was used quite often oh, in the Middle yeah. Ages, um, but a large percentage, I think, several uh, 30, 40 percent of uh, Aquinas's book is is forgeries. So there's a lot of forgeries uh, from the. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now you wanna get mixed up in the family business? Introducing the Godfather at ChapaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Roman Catholic world. Uh, no shortage of them and no, I mean, they've been used for all kinds of stuff. So. Very cool. Well, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And um, so wish me luck on that. Also, I thought I'd mention I was doing a live with Bryson Gray last night and i was i was really harping on him telling him that he has to debate you because i was kind of throwing some orthodoxy at him he's pretty stuck in his ways but i really think with him being like uh i don't know if he's a messianic jew or whatever he is but um with his you know how much he loves the old testament law i i really think you of all people might be able to get through to him i'd love to see him go orthodox um and i'll just leave it at that that's all i wanted to say thanks for bringing me on yeah, I mean, we're supposed to have a debate, and it, it keeps getting postponed because he's been doing a lot of traveling, but I do think he wants to do it, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely down to do it. I think they've been trying to do it in person is part of the reason why it's kind of hard to make it happen uh, in Nashville, but um, yeah, I think uh, Bryson's group is an, an, a Judaizing Aryan group, so they don't, they don't believe in the deity of Christ or the Trinity, and they think that they're following the Old Testament laws when they're not, so... Uh, but yeah, that's his position. You're right about that. Thank you for that, Red Pill Rapper. Deborah, what's up? I think her name is Deborah. You heard Beck. Song hey, what's up, Jay? Can you hear me? Uh huh. Hey, you... I'm a big fan, man. Thanks for letting me talk. Um, Are you Deborah? I am a, uh, a catechumen um, going through my first Lent. I was wondering if you'd you be able to talk about what your Lent diet looks Are like. Are you Deborah? Too... What's that? How are you, Deborah? Deborah and I are, are doing well, man. We'd love to talk to you sometime. No, I said, how are you? Well. I just said Deborah, and then I heard a dude talking, so I'm confused. Is that your wife? Uh, I'm sorry, man. My, my podcast is called uh, Deborah Gets Red-Pilled. I do it with my mother-in-law, Deborah. Oh, I see. I'm not a uh, Transformer or a Skittles <laughs> person, so. Well, you would be a beautiful one, I'm sure. Um, What was your question? I lost. I forgot. What was the question? Oh, yeah. I just said uh, I'm a catechumen going through um, my first Lent, and I was wondering if you would be willing to share what your Lent diet looks like. No, I don't, because that's an issue that's between uh, you and your spiritual father. So if you have dietary uh, health issues, then you're going to manifest fasting in uh, other areas. So that would be fasting isn't just food, by the way. Fasting is almsgiving. Fasting is sacrificing in various ways. And so depending upon a person's medical condition that you might fast in other ways. So that's an issue that you take to your spiritual father and he guides you in what's appropriate for you. And I never give people uh, moral and canon law advice. Uh, Zephesus, what's up? Hello, can you hear me? Yup. Hey, Jay. How are you doing? Good. Hey, I don't have any uh, questions for you. I just basically wanted to say uh, 
thank you and express my gratitude to you and your content. Uh, last year, you know, a acquaintance I know turned me on to your content. And long story short, um, I was raised Roman Catholic, lost my faith when I was younger, thought I was an agnostic slash atheist kind of, and your content kind of got me back on the track, especially learning everything about the transcendental argument for God. I've never heard that before. Um, and so not only that, but also your arguments for, you know, the Orthodox Christian faith uh, versus Roman Catholicism, you know. So I just wanted to say thank you, man. Thank you, dude. Appreciate that. That's kind words. Glad to hear that. So, yeah. you know, let, let that be a, a indicator to all the people hating what we do and trying to take us down. Like, why would you want to destroy what we're doing when we're bringing thousands of people to the Orthodox Church? Like, it makes no sense, but that's just how it is. Mark, what's up, Mark? Uh, hey, Jay. Hey, what's up? Hey, man. So <clears throat> I've been uh, at a big Fortune 500 company for a while. And one of the recent things is that they're uh, providing, uh, like, it's almost like a medical benefit for people to get wigs and other affirming things. And it just seems like that's kind of the latest um, objective of this big money machine that you're talking about. You mean you mean get a weave? Yeah, like affir like affirming s supplies. I'm trying to like. Uh huh. Yeah, I know what you mean. You know. Yeah, my answer is to just get a weave and go along with it, dude. I mean, would you would be a beautiful, a beautiful lady? Narrow gate. What's up, narrow gate? Hello. Yep. Uh, where can I go to learn more about the manuscript evidence for the writings of pre-Nicene Christians art articulating Trinitarian belief uh, besides the Didache? Uh, I mean, most of the uh, post-apostolic fathers discuss Trinita Trinitarian beliefs in some capacity. So, I mean, you could look at Justin Martyr, you could look at Irenaeus, you could look at Cyprian, you could look at the... Uh, um, Theophilus of Antioch, you could look at, um, you know, Ignatius, Clement, I mean. Okay, um, I was kind of aware of, of who articulated it, but I was wondering if, um, like, where I could go to, like, learn how to present the actual, like, manuscript evidence of um, them, uh, of their writings, because I asked my uh, my priest about it, and he said that they were stored in monasteries for a while, and I've looked on like newadvent.org, uh, but I haven't been able to find like uh, specific like manuscripts, I guess. Right. So I don't know about the original text. Like that's I'm not a textual scholar. So you know, there's Ming, okay. which is the Patrologia Greca and the Patrologia Latina. So there's Ming, but Ming is a translation, and I don't remember which deck which uh, century Ming is from, but. Um, yeah, I mean, that would be a textual scholar issue. So I wish I could give you better answers, but I'm not I'm not fluent in that area of textual scholarship. Okay, thank you. Yeah, man, good question. Uh, anyway, those, so those are good questions. Let's look at a little more of uh, the woke stuff going on because this is pretty relevant to us because I did, uh, you know, graduate work analyzing Ian Fleming 
And now Ian Fleming is censored. They are rewriting the books to make them woke, I guess, which is not surprising because Bertrand Russell said that he, that this would happen. He said in the dystopia when they bring it in, you won't be reading Shakespeare in the Bible, okay? Uh, and I've covered that in my books. It's in, it's either in, um, I think it's in Impact of Science on Society where he says that, but it might be in Scientific Outlook. But regardless, he does say it. And they also said what? Lord of the Rings is racist too. So No, now I can't find the actual article. Let's see. It's in my Uh, oh, I know. I, I sent it to a buddy of mine. That's right. Let me find it. You got to see this article to believe it's real. I didn't believe it. I was like, what? But then again, I'm like, no, this is, of course it's real. So. Lord of the, what was it? Was it C.S. Lewis too? That's why I'm trying to find it. Cause I can't remember all the details of what was in this article. I got so many marks in my friends list that when I try to find the right mark and now I can't find it. What the heck? Um, Lord, let's see what was Lord of the Rings. Hate. Was that it? Hate or white supremacist? Something like that. I don't know. I can't find this article, but everybody saw it, right? I put, I put it on my Twitter. Lord of the Rings is racist. I think they had C.S. Lewis in there. I don't remember all the details, but it's this is this is what was in the projected dystopia that when Huxley wrote Brave New World, he was writing it on the basis of what the Royal Society and the Fabians and all these people were actually planning. Okay, so when Bertrand Russell says that when they bring in the technocracy and you won't be reading the Bible and Shakespeare and all this kind of lit, that's what is in Brave New World. Okay, so and Huxley says that he says that it's not a fiction work. It's a fact work. By the way, we're going to be covering Brave New World this uh, upcoming week with Frank, our buddy over at Quite Frankly. Uh, we're going to be working through that text, and it's going to be, I think, all the more relevant. I, I covered Brave New World on my channel maybe five or six years ago, so we're going to be diving back into that with Frank next week. And in Brave New World, the character of Mustafa Mon, the World Socialist Controller, if you remember, he bans anybody having the Bible or Shakespeare or any of that kind of literature, right? He's like, of course you can't have that. 
And so we're at the stage now where they are rewriting the literature. And then that, that will eventually lead to, of course, the banning. And by the way, it's the same with movies. And so Richard, by the way, was super prescient, Richard Grove, because I remember Richard in 2010, maybe even older than that, Richard did shows, podcasts, in the early days of Tragedy and Hope where he said, do not get a Kindle, do not get any of this crap because they're going to eventually start banning and revising the literature. And Richard knew that because... It was in the books that I'm talking about, Bertrand Russell and all that stuff. But it was also part of Fahrenheit 451, which even though that's written from this kind of classical liberal perspective of Ray Bradbury, it was still accurate in what the dystopia would push in terms of literally editing, changing, and deleting lit. And not even just classical lit, even to the point of James Bond stuff. Now... Ian Fleming is a complicated character. Uh, I don't think he was all a bad guy. He seems to have genuinely believed in some of the good principles of the West. And he seems to have genuinely disliked communism and uh, the eugenics extremism of Tiny Mustache Man. And, you know, Ian Fleming was around the circles of these people. And that's why when he put the Bond villains into the stories, it's based on real people that he met at the Bieberg group and at in the circles of these people. Okay, so that that's why Klaus, you think, oh, he's a Bond villain. It's cartoonish. No, no. Ian Fleming was hanging around real people who act like Bond villains. So they're real. Okay. And yes, he was British intelligence and he was naval, British naval psyops and all that. I, I've covered all this. I've read his biographies. I, I know all about this stuff. Okay. So, but it's not as, compl- it's not like, oh, is he a good guy or bad guy? Everybody wants to pick these, have these extreme childish moral views of like, is somebody all good or all bad? Well, in his day, I think he thought he was standing for what was good. And I think he really believed in what he thought was kind of classic wholesome Western principles, but we don't exactly get that with James Bond, right? Because James Bond is kind of a morally compromised person. But I think that Fleming was trying to capture the image of somebody who is a machine like James Bond, who's an assassin. He's morally compromised. He's an unhappy person. And part of the character arc of Bond in the stories is that ultimately he, uh, he wants to get out of that life because he finds love, or at least that's part of the storyline in different ones, right? Um, and so he doesn't just live for himself and for pleasures. They kind of put that into the Daniel Craig ones, but then, of course, they had to end, obviously, the Daniel Craig one, No Time to Die, with all the wokeness. And that's all the more ironic because... The uh, Christopher Andrew book, Stars and Spies, that I was just talking about the other day, it ends by saying that James Bond is no longer welcome at MI6 and British intelligence because British intelligence is uh, woke. So the irony, right, of what these men stood for was itself undone by the principles that they were fighting for. Classical liberalism, hedonism, all of these 
isms of Western ideology, which ended up defeating social or communism and fascism. And we get the victory of neoliberalism and uh, uh, classical liberal theories, democracy. That ends up being the undermining and undoing of the very thing that Ian Fleming and these sort of Western intelligence apparatus people were fighting for. And now their own structures ban them and say that they're not welcome at MI6, GCHQ, and all this stuff. And it's no different in the U.S., right? What does the CIA put out? Woke ads recruiting purple-haired people eaters, literally. And, and, and every other form of woke, okay? So let's listen to uh, our friends over at Pop Culture Crisis this week, or actually it's today, I think. They were covering, I think I pinned this at the right point, the James Bond story. Let's see what they were saying. Screen guys, have no fear. <laughs> One where he's wearing like a denim tutu with like a part for the crotch. <laughs> She's talking about when I was wearing a denim tutu recently on a video. Hillary looks kind of like a toddler. <laughs> I did look like a toddler, but I look really good. Um, the chat's just like all like like our our view count is just dropping right now. They're like, how freaking dare you? Even with the warning, like they can leave know. the audio going and just click to a different tab. It's yeah, give them the all clear. Yep. And and what is he eating in that fourth panel? Uh, like eating some kind. I thought of I had it marked where they were talking about James Bond and catch mistakes and like cultural missteps before they're out on the shelves well yeah before the before those uh, but, cultural like, why problems are they becoming, young? Uh, and how do they know these personal things about them yeah. you know so, like is this something that they ask about in the middle of a job interview like do you have substance abuse issues in your past like something like that how would they know you know yeah. I, I i mean you're so Maybe but I, I want to talk about how right. can I date for 10 years and not Part. get married let me see if i can find it play the saxophone and didn't inhale myself politically active now but like you know, well before anything that was going on i was always like uh, the guns don't tell me they're glitching again they're gl well they've been glitching they never stopped glitching i'm gonna refresh it if oh, not i'm just gonna find is. an article because i thought i saved it at the point where they were talking about James my Bond, sister is turning 16. uh let's see if they mark it do they mark it according to no so i don't know where where were they talking about this oh well Let's see. So, let's see. James Bond books edited to remove racism. Racism. And just a slippery slope. It's going to, everything's going to be edited. By the way, do you remember this in the day tapes? <coughs> the day tapes talked about taking the books out of the library. Uh, and that was, the, I'm going to be covering the day tapes, by the way, I just I finally got around to it. Um, I'm almost done taking notes on all four hours and then uh, I'll be ready probably to maybe tomorrow, the day after, and we'll cover the day tapes. But one of the, one of the elements mentioned in the day tapes was to go out and remove books from libraries that had real information and real history. And that was, that was the plan in 1968 or nine. So Rockefeller Foundation was openly saying that we're going to send out emissaries to remove books from university libraries, public libraries that contain real history, real information. Now, I just told you guys, too, that I went to my university recently 
and checked out where I used to work down in the re the uh, research section as a grad research assistant, and probably fifty to sixty percent of the books were gone. And what remained was Marxist critical theory books. Literally. That's all that was left. And I spent a lot of time down there in that research section of the library. And they had a good section. They had a lot of good books down there. And a lot of those are gone now. Got sneeze. Oh, man. It's the worst allergies ever in the last couple of days. Oh, snorting so much cocaine. Got a, I, I met a giant bear. And he had a bunch of cocaine. I got cocaine dealt with a bear. Not, not a large gay man. An actual grizzly bear. I'm just joking. That's some new movie that looks funny. But, um... What were we talking about? Libraries. They're all edit. They're all just shutting down. They're getting rid of everything, right? Just get rid of all the books because we're going into straight up dystopia. The dystopia is here now. It's here. Dystopia now. Oh, by the way, uh... oh, I'm not supposed to. I'm not supposed to share that publicly. I was about to share something publicly that somebody just said. Don't share that publicly. <laughs> <clears throat> you're watching me have a uh, allergy meltdown live on screen. Do you like that? Do you guys, are you guys enjoying that? There's probably some weirdos that get off on that. They're like, Oh yeah. Yes. Have an allergy meltdown. Yeah. Sneeze for me, baby. I'm going to start out only fans. That's about only allergies. And it's just me having like allergy breakdowns and fits. And y'all would love it. Y'all would eat it up. <laughs> <clears throat> people complain. Why do you do that on? Why do you do that on streams? You snort and you sniff because I have allergies, man. I'm a freaking nerd. I'm not a cocaine drug lord. I'm not a Panamanian drug lord. A lot of y'all want me to be. That's your fantasy. You want me to be busted by the DEA for being a cocaine drug lord? He's a drug lord. He does cocaine before streams. I know it. I know it. I know it. I want him to get busted so bad. And then lo and behold. It's merely allergies. It is merely that I am a Chad nerd. And I literally just am attacked by Pollen Boy. I'm a victim. I'm oppressed by Pollen Boy. Who is a demon. Working together with the trees. He's working together with uh, the elm spirit. The juniper spirit. To undermine me. And all you haters think that you're going to expose me as a Panamanian drug lord who's just sitting around snorting mountains of cocaine like Tony Montana all day. And you're going to be sorely disappointed because, <clears throat> like everyone else who's a nerd, I have allergies. Nerds have allergies. I don't know. It's because we, uh, we're given Spurg vaccines or something when we're kids, and it turns us into a sneak peek of my foot. Look at that. Look at that right there. See that? People always want to. What, what, what's he, why is he? Why is he? Why is he wearing no snot, socks? Why is he wearing socks with flip flops? Okay, maybe there's a couple boomer elements. Maybe I wear socks with flip flops. And then when I explained why I wear socks with flip flops, I said it's because my feet sweat. 
Cause there's a little, probably a little, I got a little bit of betus in my toes. I don't know. Probably. There you go. There's your OnlyFans action right there. Look at it. You think, what do you think? You think that's a line of cocaine? I'm sorry. It's not. That's just a smudge, dude. Hate to break it to you. That's where I had my coffee set. See that? It's a smudge, dude. He's a Panamanian drug lord. He dresses like Tony Montana. We got him exposed. What were we talking about? I already forgot what we're talking about. (laughs) Pollen boy attacked me and I don't don't know where I'm at now. What the heck is going on? James Bond censored because I'm kind of surprised this stuff didn't, uh, wasn't happening sooner, honestly. And yeah, Fahrenheit 451 is now live. (laughs) You're living in a live action Role play of Fahrenheit 451. I made a video on this and nobody watched it like two years ago. And I said this would happen. And I was acting ridiculous in this video. Look at this. Fahrenheit 45. That's look at that's the library too, by the way. That's this library. Look at this library then versus now, baby. Look at that. I got, I got a lot of puffy hair going on in this video. What was I talking about? Ray Bradbury. What a predictive novel this is. I just read it again. No, I read it for the first time. I take that back. I had never read it, but I'd watched that movie, which is kind of boring, but, and I was talking about get ready. Cause they're going to start doing this. Oh, I forgot. Fahrenheit 451 has social media. 1953, do you know that it has social media in it? Isn't that crazy? Predictive programming in terms of that. So go watch this video if you want to, where I was talking about how, and nobody watches 7,000 views. Nobody watched this. And I was talking about, they're going to shut down your, all you soy people who think you're going to get your fiction in, in the Marvel soy universe that you live in. You're not going to keep your fiction. All of your fiction is going to be woke. All of your stuff is going to be rewritten and banned. People were laughing at me because I... He's got... Look at all them books. What idiot. Why you even need books? You get a Kindle. Who's laughing now, punk? Why do you you think I own physical copies of, of all the movies that I like? All of the books that I have. We have thousands of books in this house. Why? Because I read that they're going to shut it all down, bro. And also, I like having physical copies. That's a normal, uh, authentic human activity. Staring at screens to read is not normal. And and it doesn't work, by the way. You don't retain that shit, I don't think. As good as if you are reading an actual physical book. That's what humans have done for thousands of years. And all the tech nerds are like, oh, we can evolve. We can evolve to just stare at screens. That's, you're being a Luddite. No, I knew because they said that they would start banning and changing the literature. They said it a hundred years ago. You don't understand they said it. Do not understand. Do not understand they said it. I started going into a tape mode there. Bugatti. Do God Bugatti. They said a hundred years ago that the fiction 
the literature, the Bible, it would all be banned. And before it's banned, it's changed. It's altered. I'm not talking about these idiots who are into the KJV only tarred crowd. That's not what I'm talking about. That's a bunch of dummies. But the day tapes and Bertrand Russell and H.G. Wells and all those people said, Huxley, that they will change the literature, censor the literature, ban the literature. And that's why everything has to be updated. Remember when they remade Heather's? Remember, remember Heather's, right? So Heather's the old movie. Now I'm not saying Heather's the old movie is some kind of like, <laughs> and now it's like chunky chicks and, uh, it, it's not the same movie. Okay. So they took the 1988 movie with Winona Ryder and Christian Slater, which is an, you know, it's an enjoyable eighties coming of age thing. And now they remade it to be uh, woke, chunky chicks and people that are not chicks, right? Oh, I was trying to show you guys this. I always forget which screen I'm on. So let's see if we can play this. Dear. So this is the, the new Heathers. Okay, so it's chunky chicks. And um, that dude over there. So they took, <laughs> that's a dude. So they just took an 80s movie, redid the movie as woke. Now that's not that big of a deal in the sense of like, oh, I really care about Heathers, the movie as some cultural canon or something like that. It's just portending. It's a portent of what they're going to do with everything else. And then they did. Everything else started getting redone, re rewritten to be woke. And I told you that that was coming. Anybody who's followed my material, uh, we talked about this on Boiler Room six, seven years ago. We talked about it on my videos three years ago. And Richard Grove talked about it 10 years ago. When I had Richard Grove on six or seven years ago for the first time, we talked about this because Richard talked about it in 28, 9, 10. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's like a cultural, it's like a Maoist leap forward culture revolution. It's all of that. It's all of that into one. Um, so, you know, Fahrenheit 451 is all the more relevant now. So go read it, go watch it. And I think that, again, even more uh, crazy in Fahrenheit 451, crazier than the book burning, is the social media. If you remember, his wife gets into social media and she becomes a total NPC. And she like rats him out, right? She, she under, she under, uh, she's a traitor to her husband. Because she's on the anti-depression pills, right? And she's becomes, she has a new family, which is her social media family that she's friends with. 
and her husband, who's the book burning guy, right? In all the dystopias, you have one of the people who's one of the enforcers who wakes up, right? So, you know, Winston wakes up. And in this story, in Fahrenheit 451, it's the, uh, <clears throat> the, the officer who's in charge of book burning, right? He wakes up because he starts reading books. He's like, wait a minute, why are we destroying all these, this great literature? Now, I don't know the real story of uh, Ray Bradbury. Like, what, I, I mean, again, the, the novel is classical liberal, so it's not that great, but in terms of the worldview. But the basic principles of what he predicts are phenomenal because it predicts, again, not just book burning and book changing and all that, but in the dystopia, but it predicts social media, which is crazy. <laughs> Maybe we should watch that. Let's see if we can watch that trailer because if you're too lazy to read it or too busy... Let's watch the trailer of the 60s. I've not seen the newer show, so let's watch the old trailer of the 60s movie. <clears throat> Modern trailer. Nah. Sometimes these are dumb. They're not really funny. Let's see if this one's any good. Modern trailer for the 1960s. Fahrenheit 451. <laughs> It's a British film, so it's kind of got that slow British pace to it. Um, and it's not a bad movie. It's just a little dull. It's a little slow. <laughs> but it's a pretty good adaptation of the book. And they, they do have the um, the social media element in it. And I'm not playing the audio because it always dings the copyright. And then the, the live stream doesn't get as many views if it gets the copyright ding. So. Anyway, so yeah, he's the enforcer, burner uh, of the books. And then he starts waking up, right? And he meets this woman, and she's part of a group that memorizes and transmits the literature uh, orally. Which is kind of cool, but at the same time, it's kind of like, really? I don't know if, I don't know how well that would work. <laughs> I mean, like... Because as you get older, you forget stuff, right? So, so there's one old guy who's like the Bible guy, and he's he's tasked with memorizing and transmitting the Bible. I mean, maybe, but anyway, um, his wife ends up writing him out, right? For and I mean, make no mistake, that's this is where we're going, right? Like the dystopia sends agents out to houses to. Uh, burn and imprison the people that own books. And the funny thing is that not even Huxley or Bradbury or whoever in their dystopias, not even they could imagine that it would be this weird, crazy, woke dystopia. Like total clown dystopia, right? They, they couldn't have imagined this. Everybody at that time, right? Orwell, Huxley, Bradbury, they thought it was going to be this, you know, very heavy handed, top down police state type of thing. And it's no, it's like it's, it's purple haired people eaters dystopia, basically. Oh, here's the social media part, right? So she's like watching. TV, which is where you, you, you meet and talk to your friends on the TV. So it's like Skype basically, or internet live streaming or something like that. Right. Um, everybody takes these happy pills to be happy. 
And of course, I think he stops taking them. And that's partly why he wakes up. This is her uh, having her meetings with her online family. So you, you get an online family, an internet media family, which is your family. And that replaces and destroys your actual family. And here, here she is. The, the best part is when she's like totally mind controlled right here. So she's like totally mind controlled his wife. This is her watching her social media family. And it just programs you and they're like, look, we have to kill all the people that read books because they're a threat to the harmony of society. And they actually argue, right, that people that read books are able to critically think and they're able to um, stand for things and have emotion, have passion, all this kind of stuff. And that the in the in the novel in the story, it's like that's the source of humankind's problem. So I would guess that Ray Bradbury probably did have knowledge of what the Bertrand Russell technocrat types had in mind, which was to try to eradicate uh, human free will and emotions. You remember Bertrand Russell says this right? The the, the enemy is the human spirit that has to be stamped out <laughs> human free will the human spirit is what has to be stamped out and here we are welcome to the dystopia it's here and it's not full on book burning yet it's just almost there so the phase right now is, oh, we're going to purge the books of all of whatever we deem to be non-woke. But where does that stop? Does it stop with man and woman? Absolutely. How are you going to purge and change all the stories that refer to men and women? Well, eventually you just have to ban all the stories, right? And the template for this is Mao's Cultural Revolution. Except Mao's cultural revolution wasn't as crazy as this. This is the Fortune 100 Great Reset Revolution, which is a revolution, as Klaus says, against you. We won't just change your mind. We're going to change you. We will change your biology. You understand this is next level. And your prelates and your leaders tell you that it doesn't exist. Not all of them, but many of them. Yeah, it's in your face, but it doesn't exist. Gaslighting you. But I'm the bad man because I talk about what is publicly in everyone's face. Let's do the live, uh, let's do the super chats. We got Cooter Brown, 10 bucks. No, what? You know what? We don't want to do super chats because I think I had a couple, we had a couple more people wanting to talk and they waited. So Mr. Mr. Anderson, Mr. Anderson. Hey, Jay, how's it going? Good, what's um, up? Good. Uh, I was I was wondering, is it okay if I ask a question about orthodoxy? Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> it? So I was uh, I've been reading um, Know the Faith by uh, Michael Shambor. Uh, I'm an Orthodox inquirer, um, and uh, okay, I've not I've not read that book, so I don't know what what it, what's that, what is it a good or is it just an introduction? It seems, or? It seems pretty good. My Orthodox. Um, friend of mine gave it to me to read um yeah i mean it seems pretty good i mean uh it's confirming a lot of the things you say as far as i can tell so far um 
but uh, there were um, questions about um, like hell and uh, Sheol. Um, we're in it. So yes, we're in it right now. Okay. I'm just joking. That was a joke. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Um, well, anyway, uh, sorry. Uh, so, um, say, let's see. So, St. Mark, Mark of Ephesus says there is no creative fire of God, mm -hmm. but the parable with Lazarus mentions the rich man asking for water to cool his tongue. So, what's going on there? Yeah, I think that there is a uh, tormenting that occurs for the wicked, um, but what punishes and torments the wicked is the actual presence of God. Uh, so, you know, Paul says our God is all-consuming fire. And remember, that's the that's the uh, intermediate state. So the final eschaton, final eschatological state is when everybody's resurrected. So being in Hades, in uh, there's Abraham's bosom, which is the good part of Hades, where the patriarchs and the righteous went. And then there's Hades, which is the realm of the dead, which is where the wicked went. So the wicked are right. the wicked are tormented by still the divine presence of God and their own pangs of conscience for what they didn't do. So um, it's not like there's this created fire that's there to term to torment the people in Hades. It's still the, it's still the presence of God and their own conscience that torments them. But in the eschaton, the river of fire is the river of life, which is the presence of God. That's what torments the wicked. <laughs> So is this sort of, is it like, uh, is it supposed to be some sort of like spiritual place that they're in, uh, whenever they go there? Or is that just like, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really hate like Sheol and Hades are a real spiritual dimension of the dead. And I Jesus, gotcha. okay. Jesus went there when he descended. Yes. Okay. And Jesus um, says it's in the heart of the earth. So, okay. But, but, it, uh, but that, it's not a created place or is it? No, that's a created place. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to hammer those details. Down. Created okay, so place is not the same thing as the purgatorial created fire because yeah. St. Mark's argument is that God is an all-consuming fire and God doesn't have created elements. Or there's no created fire of God. So yeah, the, so I guess I was trying to like kind of understand the difference between purgatory and Sheol and, or in the Hades or whatever. You know? So um, in the Roman Catholic system, purgatory is a temporal debt payment that you pay based on how much temporal punishment you've accrued in this life so only people who go in the roman catholic system if you go to purgatory you're still going to heaven you're just going to be in purgatory until you pay the temporal debts that you owe that's why you right. do in uh uh you know penances and fasts and all that stuff and you have indulgences in the roman catholic system because that's to pay off the temporal debts which you accrue in purgatory and so you are burned in purgatory with a created fire until you've paid that in the roman catholic system St. Mark of Ephesus is saying that there is no payment system of a created fire that you're paying off. That's dumb. Yeah, right, right. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. I was going to say, okay, so there's an interesting uh, footnote um, here, and it says, uh, uh, let's see, in contrast, the Orthodox have always held that uh, before the final judgment, neither the righteous nor the sinners experienced the final state of heaven and hell, but rather foretaste of one or the other. So that right. is, so, um, so when, when, when Jesus descended into Hades and destroyed death and all that, but that place is still there and people are still going there. Right. When, I mean, until the <laughs> final judgment. Well, I think there's <clears throat> the righteous go to paradise okay. and there is a, uh, uh, there, there's a journey of the soul after death, which Father Seraphim Rose has a good book called 
soul after death. So in the Orthodox view, there is a, an intermediate state where there's a journey of the soul. I do believe that there is a, uh, toll houses doctrine that the Orthodox church teaches. It is not purgatory. Yeah. That's not, I am aware about that. Right. So Um, then, so then in other words, there's a, um, you could say that it's like paradise and then there's whatever destination for the wicked. So there's the, but, but that's not the same thing as, uh, what Jesus despoiled except for the, the wicked. So in other words, in before Jesus was in our nature, no one went to paradise, right? Because we had to have, uh, you have to die and you have to be participating in the new humanity that Christ inaugurates in the incarnation, death, burial, and resurrection. So the righteous were in a blessed place in Sheol or in Hades until that descent of Christ into Hades. Then now the gates of paradise can be reopened. And Jesus says, you will be with me in paradise, right? To the guy on the cross. And so now I think that there is access to paradise and you can call that heaven, but that's still not the final eschatological reality, which doesn't occur until the new heavens, the new earth and the general resurrection. Okay. Okay. Um, so that kind of leads me into another question uh, that I kind of reading about uh, penal substitution and um, uh, trying to understand like the Orthodox view versus like Christus Victor and uh, the whole deal with the ransom. And I came across uh, the, the idea that, uh, which I thought made a lot of sense. Um, you know, who did Christ pay the ransom to? Was it God, the devil or death itself? Uh, and I was, I had read that, um, on a a blog post that seemed to be pretty credible that uh saint gregory of nyssa um famously opted for the idea that the ransom was paid to satan but was very tactful when doing so so as to not give the impression that god was somehow bound to satan's demands uh anyway so i was just kind of wondering what your thoughts on that is i kind of got the impression there's not an official settled view uh, maybe amongst right the, the best statement on this but yeah, anyway. the best statement on this and I did do a talk on this uh, it's called Jesus's atonement and it's the third lecture that we did on uh, working our way through the only Orthodox faith by John Damascus so if you go to my YouTube channel or if you search Jesus's atonement Christology essence and energy book three uh, that's where we go through the third book of John Damascus on the Orthodox faith and he actually answers the very question that you ask in fact he asked the question who was the ransom paid to? And uh, he disagrees that it was literally directly paid to the devil because the ransom theory is a bait and switch theory. So the idea is that <clears throat> the devil was baited by the person of Christ and by inviting the divine person of Christ into the realm of Hades when Jesus ascended in his human nature, in the human soul that he took on, the Logos is the second person of the Godhead and he is the divine person to the human soul that he assumed. And so when he assumed, when he has descended into Hades, Satan basically invited his own destruction of, of his kingdom into his kingdom. Because Satan didn't know the full design and plans of what Christ was doing. And so yeah. by inviting Christ into his kingdom, Christ undid and destroyed the power of Satan over death and over human nature. So that was the purpose of the descent. And then by ascending, he restored the human nature that he assumed to that uh, uh, better than even the Edenic state because he deified it above even the Edenic state. And so that is the meaning of the death, burial, and resurrection according to uh, our theology. And I would say that 
I mean, there's there's there is certainly wiggle room, um, but no, John Damascus I think lays out what is 100% the orthodox view of the atonement, the death, burial, and the and the and the, and the ascent. And so right. there's a, there's a later Byzantine synod which clarifies who the payment or the offering was to, and the, it's okay. actually the liturgy itself that teaches us who the offering was to. And this actually undercuts all Protestant doctrines of penal substitution because penal substitution is typically related to some kind of Anselmian theory that the father, that the son offered the humanity as a payment to the father. But there's a Byzantine synod which condemns this because that's anti-Trinitarian. You can't have anything that in the Trinity that's an action that excludes one person. And the Anselmian theory excludes the person of the Holy Spirit because you can't have one person, the Trinity, paying off another person, the Trinity. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so the yeah, Byzantine Synod declared, hold on, yeah. the Byzantine Synod declared in accordance with the liturgical statement, thine own of thine own we offer unto thee. The offering okay. is not to the devil. The offering is the Son offers his humanity to the Trinity. That is the Byzantine resolution. You can read about that in John Mindorf's Byzantine Theology, where it's the second or third chapter. He has a whole discussion about this issue in the 11th. It's in the 1100s in Byzantium, this issue comes up. And although it's not directly about the ortho, uh, the Protestant doctrine, it destroys the Protestant doctrine as anything at all commensurable with Orthodox theology on this. Okay. Uh, just out of curiosity, what year was that synod? If you know. Off top. Uh, hold on one second. I'll get it for you. Sure. So I'm trying to show everybody this live stream, and it's I've got it all spaced differently, so it doesn't fit on the screen. But there's there it is. All right. So let me grab this. So. Uh, oh. Yeah, I actually think I have that video you were mentioning saved already. I just hadn't gotten to it yet. Okay. <clears throat> right, so this also un uh, undercuts all of the um, false Western doctrines by extension that people like Prime and all these people push. They don't know what they're talking about. So here it is. So the Eucharistic liturgy itself refutes the heterodox doctrine of the atonement. And I don't think this even occurs to, you know, Protestant types because they wouldn't even think about looking at the liturgy to um, figure out what our atonement theology would be. But so you'll notice that if you have mind or visiting theology, it's pages uh, 39 and 40, particularly that cover this right here. And I'll read uh, some of this to you because I can't read it when it's all the way over there. So it says, in 1087, there was a Constantinopolitan monk named Nihilus. He was involved in a theological dispute with the Armenians, not Armenians, Armenians. And he was condemned for holding the idea that the humanity of Christ is adopted or united to God by an adoption. The Monophysite Armenians were, of course, maintaining there was a concept of union by nature. Um, let me scroll down. Let's skip, scroll down. Let's skip down to the bottom because it gets more specific here. <clears throat> The Karelian conclusion uh, of this council against Eustratius led to further Christological debates, which in time centered on the meaning of the Eucharistic offering and sacrifice in the liturgy. The deacon Soterikos St 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 
Ponte Eugenos, was the patriarch-elect of Antioch, and he affirmed that the sacrifice could not be offered to the Trinity. So the dispute is over whether the sacrifice is offered to the Trinity, and this is actually becomes a 12th, uh, it's, a, it's an 1100s debate. Uh, I started too early, so let's, I'm going to explain it to you before people try to call me out. So <clears throat> the dispute first is that the deacon Soterikos says that it can't be the Trinity that is the subject of the offering. And he says, because this would imply a Nestorian separation uh, in terms of the son offering the human nature. Then it says, Nicholas, the Bishop of Methone, a major Byzantine theologian of the 12th century, responded to him with an elaboration of the notion of hypostasis from Leontius of Byzantium and Maximus the Confessor. The hypostatic union is precisely what permits one to consider God as performing humanly actions in this act of offering while remaining God by nature and therefore by receiving the sacrifice. To Satyricos, Nicholas opposed him. Against, against Satyricos, in other words, Nicholas stated the, the conclusion prayer of the Cherubicon, and its author is none other than Cyril of Alexandria, and it is part of the Byzantine liturgy. For it is thou who offerest and is offered and receivest who art thyself. Thine own of thine own we offer unto thee. In other words, solves this dispute. Nicholas, whose views were uh, endorsed by the council in Byzantium of 1156-1157, shows that neither the Eucharist nor the work of Christ is reduced to a juridical notion of sacrifice conceived of as a mere exchange. God does not receive anything from us. That's the key here. Rather, okay. we do not go to him. Rather, he condescends to us and to assuming our nature. So, it is the it is the son who offers his human nature to the entire triad that is the correct answer. And that excludes the mere juridical notion by extension and all Protestant doctrines of the atonement. Okay. Um yeah, a lot to chew on there. I'll probably be coming back to listen to that. Well, do you um, understand what I'm saying or not? I no, no, I I, I do follow on, and uh, no, I, no, I, I I do. It's just there's a lot of details. That's all. Um, but I, I generally understand uh, the point. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Um, the other thing, can I ask uh, one more thing? Sure. Um, so <clears throat> I was a. Uh, I know this is a little out there, uh, kind of in a way. Uh, but so I was coming across this idea. Um, I believe it was Saint Isaac the Syrian, um, who uh, it was. It was an article that I was reading talking about uh, whether or not we should pray for evil spirits uh, and or the Satan himself. Um, and. Uh, uh, so I was reading a little bit about that, and I was—I uh, guess it was just kind of difficult in my mind to sort of understand because I don't obviously Saint Isaac is a saint and Origin is not. Right, so right. So, to, I, so the I answer really is know, the answer is no. The so let me between those. Yeah, let me let me just save you. So uh, there's a lot of people out there, especially people that are, that are new to Orthodoxy. I'm not talking about you in particular, but people will just sort of say uh, they'll cite a saint for anything, and if the saint said it or did it, then you must do or we should do that doesn't work that way because a lot of saints and a lot of church fathers made errors. And I'm sorry to say that they do. 
And anybody who has like any level of maturity in this stuff will come to realize that even St. Maximus, even St. Augustine, they made mistakes. And we don't follow everything that somebody said just because they're a saint. It's a very immature, very uh, noob thing to do. I'm not saying you're doing this, but uh, St. Gregory Nyssa appears to teach universalism and apocatastasis. Okay, but he taught that before it was condemned. Augustine teaches filioque, before it's condemned as a teaching. So the mere fact that somebody said this or taught this does not mean that everybody in every generation and every time period in the future should therefore do it. <coughs> should therefore teach it. Because later things clarify and qualify and say that we shouldn't do those things. So no, we don't pray for demons and for devils. And if a saint said that we should, then that's just a, simply a mistake that they make. There is no, okay. there's no basis for doing that. And just because a saint or a church father opined that we might ought to do that doesn't matter. Yeah. Because it kind of gets into the whole idea of like whether or not they can be saved and, and all this sort of thing. So yeah, that's, right. that was kind of what I was wondering about. Um, you know, well, I, you know, I, I guess it sounded like a little bit sort of like flirting with uh, universalism. So, and I didn't, and I, you know, and I, and I want to be careful not to do what you're saying. I know that um, saints aren't infallible, so right. they can make mistakes. But right. um, so I just kind of was trying to figure out, kind of understand how yeah. to, you know, the distinction between what whatever he was saying, and then the extremities of what the, ex, the extreme yeah. nature of what Origen was saying. Right. So a lot of people will think that the way you do theology is like way up, the way a Protestant would, where you just sort of go through and you quote mine. And you just sort of machine gun out whatever doctrines you can find support for. And it doesn't work that way because what happens is that the Trinity and Christology lays a groundwork for a specific theology and metaphysic that affects all the rest of theology. And so, for example, if I know what the ecumenical councils laid down in terms of triadology and Christology, then I'm not going to posit some bizarre doctrine in uh, liturgical theology or in sacramentology that would upend and destroy and undercut all of the more fundamental, more uh, uh, necessary theology that undergirds those doctrines. And this is the mistake that a lot of these people do is that they don't understand that Trinity and Christology comes first. That's why, for example, if you don't have a clear essence energies teaching, then you're going to get lost off in the weeds and like this uh, Hilarion Hege guy that just went to Islam. Okay, every time, not always, but in, in most cases when people leave Orthodox theology uh, or they go to Rome, they have never really gotten grounded in the essence energy distinction. I'm not saying it's not possible for a person to believe the essence energy distinction and apostatize. Sure, that's possible. But most of the people who don't get that grounding that uh, wander off into these dumb doctrines and these weird heresies, it's because in, in most of the cases, they didn't ever understand who cares about the essence energy distinction. It's not that important. I don't care. Uh, I'm going to believe and teach that there's original guilt and inherited guilt. And I don't care what you say because St. Augustine was a saint and you're not a saint. That's the level of the childishness from people like Patriarch Prime, all these people who push this kind of Western uh, heterodox theology that upends the more fundamental Trinitarian and Christological teachings, but they don't even understand how it upends that. And so they just push this stuff in a very childish, uh, immature way. So what I'm trying to say is that 
when you get more mature in these things, you're going to understand that a random saint quote cannot undo and upend all of the established Orthodox Christology and Trinitarian theology. And all the childish goobers that push that don't even know what they're pushing. They don't understand that it's all backwards. I don't start with some eschatological doctrine of universalism and then rewrite all of my Christology to fit universalism or to make Augustine's Plotinian Trinity work. It's just silly. It's all wrong. Anyway, good question. I'm going to have to go. Sorry, I'm not trying to be rude to you, but all right, let's go to the, uh, uh, the sponsor for the show, which is, of course, Chalk.com, the most beige, the most awesome, the most red pill. Com- Look at my feet. All you feetsy creeps. There you go. You get your fill right there. There you go. Beat his feet right there. Get some Tonkat Ali right now because Tonkat Ali will 100% boost testosterone. Why are you so mean? It's because I take Tonkat, man. That's why. I'm not over here snorting mountains of cocaine like Tony Montana. Ah! I'm snorting Tonkat Elite. Not really. But I do take Tonkat and it does boost testosterone. So maybe that's why I'm 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 hot, ready to go, baby. Ready to fight. Not really. But people think that. So you can head on over to chalk.com, C-H-O-Q.com. Use the promo code J50 to get 50% off. You can't beat that. 50% off. What? Yes. 50% off. And I'm so confident that you're going to love the the chalk, the Tonkat, the Action 2.0 to boost all those low energy, low energy, low energy. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful, really. Low energy. If you've got low energy, as Badonka Donk Trump says, go get some Action 2.0. If you're a lady and your hormones are imbalanced, if you're screeching and squealing and screaming, histrionics, get some Irish moss. Calm down. Baby, calm down right now with that Irish moss. Chill out. Calm down. If you want to focus, you want to be a book master like Jamie is, take the She Legit. It's too legit to quit. She Legit. Absolutely unbeatable when it comes to mental focus and clarity. I guarantee you if you take the She Legit, you will be happy with what you get. And also... <clears throat> Chalk offers, as you guys know, some of the best superfoods like lit, the chocolate powder, and the cacao beans. All those are great superfoods to add to your daily regimen of smoothies or whatever it is you do. Maybe you pour a big steaming bowl of Cheerios and you want to put a bunch of chalk pills in there and just eat them straight with your Cheerios. I don't know how you do it. Whatever you do. I mean, Cheerios are garbage, but if that's how you do it, that's what you got to do, I guess, right? Your cornflakes, your beta male soy kibble that you're eating, just dump a bottle of uh, chalk in there, in your in your bowl of cereal, in your fruity pebbles, in your count chocula. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. If you want to get 60% off, yes, you heard me right, 60% off all of these excellent products over at chalk.com. Head on over there and use the promo code J60LIFE, that's J60LIFE, and gives you 60% off for the recurring subscriptions. That's only for setting up recurring subscriptions, but it does give you a nice fat 60% off. Also, our show sponsor is Grand Theft World. I hope you guys watched that epic seven-hour stream we did. Now, I could not make it the whole seven hours, so props to Tony, because Tony has the chops 
And yes, he's Italian. We talked about that. We joked about that in the stream. Tony's got the chops to go seven hours on a live stream. <clears throat> Head on over to uh, my, well, it's over on Rockfin, actually. You go to Rockfin and you go to Richard's channel right here. I'm going to put it in the chat for you guys. That's our show sponsor, Richard Grove over at Grand Theft World, <clears throat> tragedyandhope.com. Props to Richard for having me on. I can't believe we lasted for seven hours. Or they lasted seven hours. I could only do <clears throat> four. So the first four hours, sign up for that over on Rockfin. Right there is the link. By the way, Rockfin is great because you get access to everybody. You get access to me, to Richard, Sam Tripoli. You get access to Tristan Haggard. You might have heard of him. You get access to Burmus. You get access to Whitney Webb. You get access to, let's see, who all's over there? Jimmy Dore, Burmus, Tripoli, Eddie Bravo, Haggard, Michael Tracy, Geopolitics and Empire. All of these awesome, I'm not even showing you guys this, am I? Look at all these people. I look at all the lovely people. Isn't it? It's lonely people in it. I guess that doesn't work. But anyway, all these people are over there. A lot of cool guys. Sign up for Rockfin and you get access to that uh, epic stream that we did over there. That was, uh, I'm on there the first four hours and we did a lot of philosophy talk. We did a lot of geopolitics and intelligence operations talk. And then I tapped out because I got tired. I couldn't do it. I was like, how do y'all do seven hours, man? That's pretty, pretty based, pretty red pill. So head on over there and subscribe. Also this weekend, we have the forum. Ooh. I didn't even do all the stupid Twitter crap. I was going to show you guys. I got lost in the weeds of Gladio and all that. And I forgot to do all the... Uh, all this goofy Twitter stuff I found. But here is the link for this weekend. I keep sharing it and then it gets keeps getting bumped down. I think this stupid thing made me laugh, like almost cry laughing. That was so stupid. Maybe I'll play that one because it was like the funniest thing I've seen all week. Just every element of it just being totally ridiculous. Uh Oh, and, and Ben Gabe uh, deleted his tweet, by the way. So he was apparently embarrassed by, oh, avoid Jay, right? And then he deletes his tweet after he gets responses. There's another thing about James Bond. Can y'all see this? Y'all can't even see this. Yeah, so Ben Gabe deleted his tweet after calling me out. And then when I reply, he deletes the tweet, of course. Excuse me, the allergies are terrible today. Where the heck is this freaking thing? Here it is. Okay. <clears throat> so this weekend we've got at Autonomy University over there at Richard's flagship project over there, Autonomy University. We got a group of speakers. We got Mark Pazio, 
who I've done a lot of impressions of. I don't want to make Mark mad. Just doing impressions. You can never figure out, like, a lot of times you do impressions, people get mad. And it's like, do we do impressions of everybody? So don't get mad. But uh, we will learn from freedom innovators. I'll give you guys a link for this weekend symposium on the stra- the strategies that they used to gain a lifestyle of liberty. And so we have a lot of our friends over there. Uh, we'll see uh, Last America Vagabond, Ryan Christine, Corbett's there. Uh, don't know who Jordan Page is. Steve from uh, AM Wake Up Show. We've been on his show. Uh, Steve Poikonen. Don't know who Scott Armstrong is. Charlie Robinson, buddy of ours. Benny Wills, buddy of ours. Don't know who John Bush is. Not dissing these people, just don't, don't know who they are. Um, <clears throat> it's going to be fun. We're going to be talking about more practical stuff in terms of like how we decided and put forth a strategy to turn the media stuff that we do into a career. How do we make it into a job? What do we do to make that decision? What was the path we took? So we're going to be talking about <clears throat> a liberty lifestyle in terms of entrepreneurship, starting your own business, all that kind of stuff, more practical stuff, right? Related kind of to what I talked about on my toxic masculinity stream of a couple nights ago, because you know, I, I'm always thinking about all this uh, academic intellectual stuff, geopolitical stuff, all this kind of stuff. And then people are always asking me, I want to do what you do. How do you, how do you do what you do? When I used to do tutoring, literally like 80% of the tutoring I would do would be like, yeah, okay. Thanks for telling me about Plato, but I want to learn how to start a podcast. I want to learn how to start and do what you do. I'm not joking. Like 80% of the people I was tutoring were like, I, okay, the philosophy stuff's kind of boring. Teach me to do what you do, which is fine. I'm not, I'm not hating on anybody. And we saw, you know, two or three of the people that I gave tutoring to did go on to do podcasts and gain an audience. So <clears throat> the symposium is going to be about that. So it's not about conspiracies. It's not about geopolitics. It's not about New World Order. It's about strategies and techniques for gaining a life style of independence, sovereignty, self-sufficiency, starting a business. There's the link if you want access to Richard's weekend symposium. So Richard's putting that on. It's all the people uh, in his network, especially. And I'm just honored and thankful to Richard to have me on there as one of these guests. So very cool of him. And I want to promote that and get you guys over there if you're interested in doing that kind of stuff. So um, it's going to be fun. Um, I'm not sure what everybody else is going to be talking about. I'm just going to talk about, you know, what I did and the strategies that uh, I put forward to, to do what I do. And, <clears throat> oh yeah. And remember too that the next season of philosophy course uh starts up in Mar- march 9th so remember there's two options for those that signed up for my philosophy course there it is right there if you want to sign up it's not too late i should go ahead and open that up let's see <clears throat> march 9th philosophy course begins what the heck With the new season. Do you want a better way to study philosophy and gain wisdom? Defend yourself against the Rajima? 
Of course you do. Look at all these neat pictures. Don't they look cool? Of course. Well, you get access to these pictures and more uh, if you head on over to philosophy section at the Autonomy Agora Marketplace and you link, the link is there for my, uh, my mind's turning to mush, I've been reading all day, for my philosophy course. Nick says, as a follower of Jay's work, he has raised the bar. Jay's knowledge is in-depth, delivery, entertaining, engaging, and he is able to engage in the dominant ideas of the day. People get back, what do you you mean by this don't be a boring-ass rock? That's from existentialism. So I think it's it's in Sartre somewhere where he talks about being in itself and being for itself. So you can go sign up. There are uh, payment options. So people always ask, is there payment options? Yeah. So if you choose the tutoring option, it is more, but you get access each week to the tutoring. So in other words, March 9th begins the tutoring options every successive Thursday. Does that make sense? So there's the link and what else is going on? Sorry to the pop culture crisis people. I wanted to promote this, but I couldn't find the section where they talked about James Bond. But anyway, uh, Oh yeah. I want to play this Katy Perry thing. this was like the funniest thing I've seen in a week. Where'd it go? Oh, by the way, so I started thinking about filters. These filters are basically destroying the internet because no video content will be uh, believable anymore because the filters are making everything just completely fake and gray. So look at this chick. Watch this. I can't believe this is a filter. The fact that this is what filters have evolved into is actually crazy to me. I grew up with the dog filter on Snapchat. So you're like, oh yeah, filter, this is hot chick. She doesn't look like this. It's a filter. And now this this filter gave me lip fillers. This is That's what she really looks like. <laughs> so there you go. Uh basically the internet video is wise is done for. So everything is gonna be fake and gay now. Already was pretty much. Let's go to the Katy Perry thing. Where's that at? That made me laugh pretty hard. Just every element of this is funny. Watch this. You're like, why would I care what Katy Perry is talking? You'll see. Trust me. <sighs> okay. So I want to see this this dude's actual uh, song routine. Right, because like I guess he's gone viral now, and now don't we all want to know what he sounds like? I do. So here's this Kentucky mullet dude, right? Which is literally like everybody around here, and his interaction with Katy Perry is uh, priceless. Um, a gunman walked into my school. Uh, I was in our so. He was in art class, and I love how he just talks about art one and art two, and it's like everybody kind of knows what he means by art one and art two, <laughs> even though he's like, 
he's really detailed into the you know the, the class breakdown and he's like well i was in art two but the shooter came into art one and it's i'm not making fun of the fact that people got shot whatever this incident is but this is just ridiculous it's a song show it's american idol or whatever, whatever the latest instantiation of the American Idol template is the voice. I don't know. Um, a gunman walked into my school. Uh, and then Lionel Rich is like blown away. And then this big old dude, he's just wearing jeans and facts. <laughs> this is not okay. Um, I don't know. That just made me laugh. Like every, everything about that is funny. Not the school shooting part. That's terrible, obviously, but that dude's resolve you know what i mean when he know like he knows that he has won the day by pulling on perry katie's heartstrings right he pulls on perry katie's heartstrings she doubles over he smiles he's got a nod of satisfaction over there and he says what you doing katie he knows she's crying and he knows he's won the day now I want to hear how this dude sings. That's the real question is like, what does this dude sound like? Does he do cringe core? Does he, what does he sound like? He looks like he's from my neck of the woods, right? Can we find this guy? Okay. This is the emotional she's weeping over gun control but i want to hear how that fat dude sings nobody cares about how that guy actually sang all they care about is katie perry's breakdown about gun control and they just call him the contestant if i was that dude okay trey lewis here we go trey lewis <laughs> here we go trey Trey Lewis, American Idol. We got. I gotta hear this, dude. Uh oh. He sings positivity. I, I hope it's body positivity. And if I play this, it's gonna ding it. So I can't play much of it. Let's see. This looks like it's gonna be a winner, though. Let's see what he's what he does. All right. Sees this straight up Kentucky boy come in. Or where was he from? Trey from. Trey is from Texas. He looks like a Tennessee boy or a Kentucky boy. I'm great, man. But tell us who you are. Trey Lewis, a.k.a. Trey from the Fay. Um, <laughs> Trey from the Fay, Santa Fe. Okay. I want to hear you sing, though. Trey, what was his name? Trey. Trey. Trey from the Fay. All right, he gets props with that. Let's go to the Super Chats. We got... The real Cooter Brown. Uh, thank you to everybody who called in tonight. Hopefully you had a good uh, good time. And we'll end that. Super chat time. I'm getting jealous because I feel like Trey sings a little better than me. So I'm shutting him down because I'm jealous. So I have, to, I have to make myself feel better by moving all the super chats. Cooter Brown. Can you do a stream with Dark Iron Gains? He's knowledgeable about this stuff, and he's a Nick Cage fan. 
Uh, well, he's promoted our things on Instagram quite a bit, so I appreciate that. Uh, we'll see. <clears throat> Thank you for that super chat. Kevin, $10. Fast Boy Club in the house. Yeah, I think that if you listen to my stuff on a regular basis, you are in the Fast Boy. You're living the the uh, living life in the Fast Boy lane. I'll give you that. And now I'm going to have to edit out that stupid thing because it said, oh, we detected copyright because I played that stupid American Idol clip for like five seconds. There you go. Teton, $5. Can you give me an argument for why George Bush is the best president we ever had? My dad kicked me out of the house because he hates the Bush family. I don't even... Uh, George Bush is the second best president that we ever had next to Joseph Biden. And tell your dad that, and then he'll let you back in the house. Kevin Farrell, $10. Thank you, Kevin Farrell. Mark, 85 $5. What a good chronology. Yeah, I really like the Williams thing. Uh, and then we'll get deeper into that in the part two for subscribers. The Paul Williams book. Kasi, $10. I grew up knee-deep in espionage in the corruption world that you research. Uh-oh, we got a spy in the chat. Uh-oh, we got a spy in the chat. It's very hard to see when you're in it. Who were you spying on? Who was you looking at? You helped me understand my history. I hope people open their eyes to your work. Thank you very much, Kasi. That's kind words, and I appreciate that. Super chat. Charisma Mysterion, $5. Says nothing. Josh, you. Josh, you. Says $10, nothing. Harry J.S. Ludwig, $3. J is a subscription to analysis include your roofing casts? Or is that separate? I don't know what roofing casts are. Where did you obtain a print copy of Dvorkin? Oh, Father Francis Dvornik? I don't know what roofing casts are, uh... And I, I think you mean Father Francis Dvornik. Uh, it was on Amazon, if that's what you mean. But I don't know what the other part means. Bay's Pay Piggy, $25. This is for your future desk fund. How bad of a shape do you think Ibarra's desk is in? That would depend on whether Eric sat on the desk or not. Uh, Ella Fanny, $18. To life. To life. We are working on this, by the way. We're working on it. We're getting there. We're not there yet. We're getting there, right? Take some time, but to life. Kevin Farrell, $10, and says nothing. Kristen, $10. Jay, you will not be going back to that 9 to 5 in 2023 because you're on fire. Thank you, Kristen. Much appreciated. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, hey, this is going to be the biggest year we've had, right? I mean, the last two months, no, the last month, January and February of this year were already the biggest we've ever had. I mean, the whole week in Texas, multiple in studio with Lord V, and then uh, filming the special for one of the biggest shows out there in America. Uh, those are going to be bombiggity. Then we had. Dr. Steve Turley, which we'll ha be having Dr. Turley on my channel soon. We had Tim Cast. We had Elijah Schaefer. I mean, it was just like 
machine gun like mega interviews nonstop. So already January, February have just been off the hook. DC Customs. Uh, have you done analysis of Le Carre, uh spy that came in from the Cold Tinker Tale source? But yes, we did that movie. And we did, if you mean the movies, uh, I've not reviewed the. the novels but if you come over here to let's see what it was called I already shut down the no I can pull it up here we go what do we call it spy who came now the movies were good but nobody watches these streams like they don't people just don't understand I, I cannot figure out what is going on here it is like nobody watches this kind of stuff. I don't know why. This this got seven thousand views. We did man. Nobody knew the courier spy who came in from the cold. And I thought this was a really awesome breakdown we did, but nobody watches these streams. So I don't I don't know what it is. People just they find it boring, or do people just not know anything about history, or they don't understand why espionage relates to reality or they just think it's all like James Bond stuff and it's cool. Uh, it's not, it's not any of that really, but nobody, nobody watches these streams. Maybe they're buried in the algorithm. I don't know, but yeah, we covered, uh, we covered all those right there. Recovering Doomer $3. Do you think, modern astronomy and cosmology is accurate. Um, I'm just a skeptic on all of it. So are you flat earther? No, I'm not. Oh, so you believe NASA? No, I don't. I don't have any position on these things. And I, and that's because I genuinely don't think that what is going on here? There's that one. There we go. That's why is that doing that? That's not supposed to be like that. Oh, because I'm there we go. Still getting used to the uh, stream deck over here. Rachel, $5. First, thank you for calling Taylor Marshall. He is damaging and ignorant. I appreciate truth. Calling him? You mean calling him out? Thanks for what you do. I bought a membership for my brother-in-law. He's signing up for your course as is Richard. Hey, thank you, Rachel. Much appreciated that. Uh, yeah, a lot of these Roman Catholic, they just don't want to, I mean, that's why I appreciate, uh, Tim Gordon a lot because he's level headed and he's cool and he's, you can talk to him, but like Matt Frad and Taylor Marshall. And I mean, they're just, they don't, these people don't have any interest in interact because I don't think, I think they're just in it for the clicks. I don't think they really care about what's true. Um, Valentine, $5. I want to thank you for what you do. I found the Orthodox Church. I'm a catechumen. God bless. Thank you. Keep it going. Uh, great to hear, Valentine. Much appreciated. Storm the Cat, $3. Do you like turtles? Do you like turtles? Uh, sure. Turtles are neat. Um, yeah. I was a fan of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when I was a kid. Commander Keem, $5. Cheers, comrade. Yes. Dugan and Putin salute you as well, fellow... KGB comrade. If you guys would hit like and share, uh, to, we will have the part two.
probably, I'm kind of tired now. I don't know if I can do it tonight. Maybe tomorrow night. But I'm ready to do the, the part two of Cold War Gladio stuff. It's going to be fun. And there will be more to that one because the Williams book, uh, I'm only halfway in the, into the Williams book, but I finished the Kohler book. And then I read the chapters in the Ganser book on Gladio and Turkey. So we'll have some good insights into the John Paul II assassination. If you would hit like and share, comment below, and everybody have a good night.